Welcome to another edition of Turn at a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, not two, former guests of the show come back to the show and are reunited by this podcast. That's right. Well, they've been talking a little bit on text prior to this, but they have been this is their first conversation that you're going to hear right here on the show. And I'm talking about friend of the show, contributor to the show. You may know him from the band Tear It Up. You may know him from the band Dead Nation. You may even know him from the band Splitting Headache. Or you may even know him from Obedience. Or you may know him from the band The Good Book. Or you may know him from the band Pagan Rituals. I am talking about my buddy, Dave Ackerman, a.k.a. Dave It Up. And also on the show, you may know him from the band Spiral Heads. You may know him from playing with MGMT. MGMT. MGM, you may, you may know him from that. You may know him from Tulsa Doom. I am talking about our friend of the show, returning to the show, Simon Doom. Oh my gosh, this is the most convoluted intro I think I've ever given to this podcast. Anyway, they grew up together in New York going to crush shows and street punk shows and shows that I wouldn't be caught at. But anyway, they grew up going to these shows and now they are reunited on this podcast. Holy jeez. Oh. This is all part of a New York week that I'm doing, a 90s New York week on the show. More on all of this, I'll try and, you know, uh, make it a little more clear as we get on in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is answered by my brother and guest booker extraordinaire, except this week, and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me, and from there we can communicate. You can also find me more directly at Left for Damien on various forms of social media media. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that you listen to a podcast as as convoluted and as weird as this and that you enjoy it. And maybe, maybe they are looking for the same. So they, maybe they will enjoy this podcast as well. You can also support this podcast by subscribing to it and rating it on your podcast platform of choice or by uh, going over to iTunes and giving it a, a rating over on that thing. And Speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks over there at Vans who came aboard this podcast a few years ago and said, do your thing, book whoever you want to book, just don't uh, you know, pay for it out of your own pocket anymore, and they've really helped me do that. So thank you very much to Vans for all that support, because um, it, it's appreciated. And when this is all over, House of Vans will be back, and we'll be going to House of Vans again, you know? Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, House of Vans are back. You're listening to this in the future, and, and everything's good, right? Promise me that? Okay. Yay. Anyway, thank you, Vans. Also, thank you to the fine folks over there at patreon.com slash turnitapunk who, uh, who support this show and make this whole thing possible. I'm doing three episodes this week, and that would not be possible to the fine folks over there at Patreon. So thank you very much to them for their continued support. And head over there and check out some of the stuff we do over there and footnotes and things like that. All right. On to this week on the show. This is 90s New York week. I did these three episodes to, kind of back to back, actually. And I realized that they all kind of fitted together. And so I was like, why not put them out as one week? Well... Stuff keeps happening, and things kept getting pushed back, and I really wanted to put them out together, and so I needed a point where I could have a week where I could put out three episodes. And this is the first episode. This episode I will get to in one second, but later on in this week you will also hear 
Kevin Gill, you may know him from Striving for Togetherness Records. You may know him as the voice of Game Changer Wrestling. You may know him as the voice of the Juggalos. And he is going to be on the show talking about New York hardcore, talking about, uh, you know, meeting the the insane clown posse guys and kind of building that old bridge. And we, we talk a little bit of wrestling. Don't worry, it's not, it's not too wrestling heavy. But Kevin Gill is one of the OGs of this punk wrestling connection thing. So, you know, I had to go there a little bit. But, and then... At the end of the week, this is a, a very interesting one. Omar Doom, who is a music producer, DJ, and also an actor who has been in uh, tons of films, but most notably, I think, well, not most notably, but most notably to a lot of people, he's one of the Inglorious Bastards in Inglorious Bastards, as well as being in um, a multitude of Quentin Tarantino films over the years. And he's on the show to talk about, uh, not so much that, we do touch on that stuff a little bit, but mainly we're talking about being involved in New York hardcore and then moving to New York and meeting up with the the surviving members of the murder junkies and, and kind of crew around them. It's a It's an interesting episode. But first, starting it all off, we have my buddies Simon Doom and David Up reuniting on this show. Now, these guys grew up going to shows together, as you'll hear on this podcast. And then, you know, even though they were both involved in punk rock, uh, you know, Paz took them to divergent places in in the music universe. But this podcast brings everyone back together and they are now reunited and it feels so good. This has got to be one of the funniest episodes of this podcast ever. I, I laughed a lot while we were recording this, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love this thing. This is awesome. Simon plays in a bunch of bands, as you heard off the top, so does Dave, but Simon Doom's latest project, Spiral Heads, has a brand new EP that will be dropping very soon. I think it's going to be dropping August 7th, so if you're listening to this before uh, August 7th, get ready for it. If you're listening to it after August 7th of 2020, you're listening to it now. You're rocking to it right now, but it's going to be on Quiet Panic and Bridge Nine, Check that out. It's a brand new EP. Uh, also, he wanted me to plug Sit and Spin Records in Philadelphia, which, yes, definitely check out that store. They've got a fantastic Instagram that I, I look at and just long to get a lot of that stuff that they post. But they are a cool store out of Philadelphia. So Simon wanted me to shout them out, and that's what I do here. You know, I shout out people. I don't know. I should have asked Dave who he wanted me to shout out. But check out David Up uh, and all his stuff. Dave Ackerman, he is on Instagram. He changes his name all the time on Instagram, so it's really hard to follow and uh, all sorts of places. But he does, you know, tons of great stuff too. You'll hear him on Footnotes all the time. So, oh, I feel good about this episode. This is a, this is a fun one. Well, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy David Up and Simon Doom reuniting, and it feels so good on Turned Out a Punk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Turned Out a Punk, a reunion of sorts where we are getting Dave Nation back together with Simon Doom. And, and reuniting a an early uh, New York friendship, uh, well, early mid period, like early for us New York friendship. Guys, how's it going? Yeah, early in life. Early but, in yeah, life. I yeah, I guess, not as early in my life as it was in Simon's. But. Yeah, post industrial <laughs> revolution. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, Dave, how's it going, Simon? So for the listener at home, this is the first time I've talked to Simon in a very long time. 
Yeah, just we've texting, texted. Right? Actually, since I did, or since I did the Turn On a Punk podcast, we we David it reignited our our friendship. I'm going to say it. And, yeah, that's uh, true. Yes. So you know, it's not just a podcast. It's you know, um, yeah. and yeah, we've been texting. But this is the first time I've I've spoken to you with my mouth in ten years or more. Definitely oh. more. I've lived in Texas for ten years. It, there you it's go. Honestly. It, it's probably closer to 20, if I if yeah. I had to guess. Yeah. Well, that's what the show does, yeah. so right? So since, since the Clinton administration. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we got back together, MVP and Zach Blair. We united Walter and John Worcester, and now we've got you oh, guys back no. together. Yeah, Amazing. I mean, it's a pretty similar company. It's exactly similar company. Turned out a punk alum. <laughs> We're all united mm-hmm. by, by this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, and then now we're gonna meet in real life because Dave's gonna come to see MGMT in Houston, right? I am. Yeah, yeah. And I'll see you whenever I go to New York. But I, at this point, I have no uh, travel plans. I'm sure I'll be out there in like the summer. But there's, I definitely do not want to go to the East Coast to be colder. Like that's no, that's no, stupid. No, yeah, I don't blame no, you on that fun. one. That's what I was saying about California and Boston. Just, just the, the other second. But uh, yeah. So, anyway, so going back to like, I guess when you guys first, first met, like, do you remember like the show you guys met each other at? I do not. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things that I, I'm pretty sure that I knew you pre Thulsa doom just from being around. Yes. Yeah. I would see you around. I almost feel like I talked to Stuart for like the first conversation I remember having with Stuart was you were more approachable than Stuart. I'll, yeah, I'll back that up. I'll back that up. Yeah, hundred percent. But Stuart was talking to me outside of ABC No Rio, and I remember him saying to me, "You should go to college." And I was like, "Okay, yeah." I mean, that, yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't, didn't say that. Yeah, I remember him saying that he's like he's kind of like don't don't do what the rest of these guys. Just you should go to college. Almost like. You know, and I was like, okay. Um, I don't remember when I met you or how that started, or even in like whether it was in person or like on America Online or something. I don't know, but I think that I mean, I remember the first time we hung out when we went to go see Ants. Yeah, I remember that. Not well, a Bug's we, but, Life. No, but we hung out a lot at shows, so it was yeah. like that was like uh, it wasn't like just someone that I we like played a few shows together. Like I would talk to you whenever I saw you. Yeah, and you, I thought you also knew Leora, but mm-hmm. I do think you know something that you and I were talking about uh, on uh, Instagram Messenger, which is like after, is that hearing the my turn out of punk? Is that like you were coming in from New Jersey, so you were kind of just, you were there for the shows and not for like the hangs as much, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, like Jesse Camp and I had very minimal interactions. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny because ever since your episode went up, Simon, it, I've gotten hit up by so many people that are just like, that episode was wild. Like, And I think that's the thing that, you know, like a lot of us have shared experiences. Like Chris O'Toole and I did a footnotes together talking about it the other night. And we're like, yeah, there's just so many things where it's like, oh, yeah, that's just like my experience. That's just like my experience. But by fact that you're growing up in New York City and just being such a different city than any other place on Earth, there's also just these experiences that are so wild, like the Merle Allen stuff and and just like a lot of things that 
you know, like I don't think you'd have to deal with in Toronto, and I don't know, maybe not so much as in, in New Jersey as well, Dave. Well, I, I, my Merle Al- my Merle Allen connection is uh, when I the first place I lived when I stopped living with my parents was in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Um, living in a house with like two other dudes from Terada. And I was going to the post office as, as a punk is wont to do with to mail out conspicuous 12 by 12 cardboard mailers. Mm-hmm. And the people at the post office are like, Oh, there's another guy who's always in here mailing records. Do you know Merle Allen? It's like, <laughs> no, but I know who he is. But so he was using the same post office as me, but I never saw him like in line or anything like that. Yeah. The weird thing about him is that he was so uh, um, um, kind of a, a disarmingly nice from my <laughs> experience. You know what I mean? Like, it's like he definitely looked like the meanest guy in the world, but he was so, I mean, maybe he was just nice to me. I mean, like, also, like, this is when I was so little, and you can kind of attest to this. Oh, day. yeah. Like, I, like, I looked kind of like, you know, I looked like a baby that someone dressed up as a punk. So it's like, <laughs> Yeah, if you're, you know, if you're mean to me, it's like being mean to like a, a you know, a, like babe, the you yeah, know, little the, pig or something. The, you know, the cover of the first hysterics evidence is essentially a photo of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, that's a joke for six people, but uh, the yeah. uh, the but like yeah, I mean, but if weird older guys in the scene were nice to you, it probably gives off like a chicken hawk vibe because you, you yeah, were yeah. very young. I don't know if that like, is like a better term in 2020, but like. There um, is a better term. I think that's one of the no, terms that's it, grandfathered oh, in. There's a certain. I mean, there was there was there were elements of that for sure. And you know, uh, off off the air, Dave and I have talked about a certain <laughs> certain person who <laughs> who, uh, who definitely was about thirty years old and would routinely invite me for uh, sleepovers at his house. Um, and he was in a band that I liked. And I remember I, remember I, was, with, I was still at the point of going to shows with my dad. And, and my dad was standing about five feet away. And this guy is like, he's just come back to me, let's have a sleepover. And I remember asking my dad, I'm like, hey, can I go to a guy's house and go to New Jersey and uh, have a sleepover? And my dad said, like, absolutely not. Like, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? And now I got um, it. That's a very I, I common thing, I think, before, in public. But, uh, but it was uh, it was with other people. I went to his house once, but with other people, so it was not a... But I, I also... Not like I was like a, some graybeard, but I was not as fresh-faced as, as you were. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, I, w- I would like to get, take this opportunity to say that my sister ended up forwarding the podcast to my parents who listened to it, and they're very concerned that they came off as uh, uh, bad parents. And, and I want to make clear that <laughs> They weren't bad parents. I was just a really, uh, I was a, a very good gaslighter from a young age and yeah. really could convince them that I was not doing what I was doing, you know? So. Yeah. No, yeah. but I mean, if my parents, I mean, that's also your sister. That's, that's fucked up. I don't think our parents fully understood exactly where we were going, Yeah, you know? Yeah, like it's, it's different now because now you see it like my, the shit my parents let me do, I would never let my kids do. Like, could you imagine letting your kids do this shit? Yeah. Like, yeah, go yeah. to a show? That's crazy. I know, I know. But like, um, check it out. If you spin it this way, like, hey, mom, hey, dad, there's this uh, kind of collect hippie collective sort of uh, venue in in downtown New York that throws uh, daytime shows for all ages because you know it, it just sounds very wholesome oh, i think i do yeah. 
And so, yes. like, they're like, that sounds good. I'm like, I'll be home by 8, 15 p.m. There's a volunteer, it's volunteer run. There's a puppet workshop. Yeah. Uh, remember this guy, Scott Bybin? He's super yeah. responsible. Are there fire exits? Anyway, next question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I think it was just I, a different time, Oh, dude, too, the drummer right? of Tulsa Doom is a fireman. So, like, when we do our, like, little reunion sort of mini tours and, like, play kind of, like, punk houses... And like quote unquote venues, it's hilarious to watch him just kind of like, you know, risk assess. Yeah, risk assess. Jesus fucking Christ! Every time we walk in, anyway, he goes, Jesus fucking Christ! It's great. Yeah. Did, did, were you at the the ninety seven A show at ABC? It was it was when it was still downstairs, and the singer just went on about how much it was a fire trap, like the whole set. No. <laughs> were you at the show where I broke my arm in the last show? <laughs> Uh, I don't know who else who played anti product. I remember it, it was <laughs> I was I was it was downstairs and like I had brought these kind of cool, pretty older girls from my high school who were like <laughs> punk curious. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, oh, like they didn't know about ABC or Rio. I was like, you should come. It's a show. And uh this band Annie Products playing, and so they came. And they were like kind of nervous, and I was they, they were older, and I was still prepubescent. I was fourteen, but I was you know tiny, and uh, I wanted to kind of like. They started playing. The mosh pit started. I could tell that they were kind of a little. Uh, the girls were a little nervous. I was like, oh, it's no problem. I just went in. About forty-five seconds in the mosh pit, that really big dude Jason. Remember him? Very uh, large fellow. He fell. <laughs> on uh-huh. me crushed me underneath him I broke my arm I had nowhere to go so I, crawl, I, started, I was crying and I crawled on stage <laughs> holding my arm and crying and I remember anti-product stopped playing and they're like are you okay and I think I just shook my head like no and, <laughs> and I just sat up there for the rest of the show like crying in front not only these girls I was trying to impress, but like the whole scene. You know what I mean? I, I, I was definitely at that show, but I don't remember that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You gotta. Yeah. I, oh, this is the other thing Chris O'Toole and I came to the conclusion on. Simon, no one has been on the show. Very few people, I should say, have been on the show that are more deserving to write like a movie that, like, there's just so many natural story arcs in there from the skinhead party then you have to call the skinheads to save you from the murder junkies and then the the your first girlfriend you end up meeting her again felix on havoc has to save you like techno viking of hardcore it's (laughs) it's true i thought i mean it's nice to say that i i will say that like after i got off the phone for the first interview i remember thinking like none of that made any fucking sense there's no cohesion i was just blurting out uh punk stories like you know siri or something but like yeah. but i listen back i'm like okay no there's there's some kind of full circle shit in here there's some connection so good i'm glad that like translated a bit oh definitely know? yeah i followed um, the narrative i want just like yeah. a co-producer credit on the finished film because i think this thing's writing itself like that's a scene that's a scene in the movie <laughs> you got it man i got a cast do you remember my cast dave see i was like annoyed because i wanted a cast Mm-hmm. On my arm, that was like an old school kind of cast. You could just write them with a sharpie, but they had it was sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was fiberglass. like fiberglass. They did fiberglass ones, right? Fiberglass one, yeah. So like I couldn't. I did. 
it took me like a whole day, but I did the misery symbol on the cast. <laughs> and I was like, that's all I can really do. Like, no one could sign it, but I had to like sit there over and over again with a ballpoint pen just kind of drawing it. And, and that's the side, the part of punk is that like the real tedious crafts that you had to like put yourself through on the side to like be punk as far as like yeah. studying a jacket or selling. sewing a patch. Yeah. I feel I feel like such a tool, but like how how annoyed do you get when you see like Kanye West in like a study jacket? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I know it's like I, I feel like I'm too I'm way too old for this. I don't I shouldn't care. It's great, have a great time, you look great, you know. But there's still a part of me is like, did you make that though? Did you sit there? Who name name five songs by each band? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean there is, if, that, there's, that's a huge thing on eBay is people selling studded jackets. And it just seems like it's, it's completely cheating. Yeah. Well, th- isn't there, like, yeah. what's the guy who does it? It's like, it's so under, it's so, like he was in, like, not Toxic Holocaust, but, like, he was in, like, a legit band. And that's his, his sideline now, right? Making these jackets? I don't know. Yeah. I remember something about that. I remember, like, but it's also, this has been happening for a long yeah, time. Yeah, so it's I think 10 years like, now it's been doing it, or 15 years or something like that. Yeah, like, you know, Diesel and other brands just kind of make their own mm-hmm. but um i do remember that the, there was definitely some guy and there was like a vice article about it uh and people were kind of hating on him i don't remember who it was though but he was only a guy with cred so you might be you know well, also, i don't like, remember the specifics and punk is like ultimately like you know all that uk punk stuff was like rooted in fashion to begin with right so it's just like yeah it's all just kind of i don't know I, every time i kind of see it i'm always like I can understand why people get upset, but at the same time, I'm always like, ah, maybe maybe there's like a new potential guest for the podcast. The thing is, like, a lot of the UK punk stuff, like the like the UK 82 stuff, was very rooted in fashion. But like, then the next wave was like essentially rooted in like anti-fashion, and yeah. then that just became its own fashion. Like all the like, just like the crust, like right. 85 stuff, like the like the deviated instinct, like that kind of disorder all that shit yeah like, i don't think they were like going for a like a a vivian westwood look but no then it just became another like how look. excited do you get when they go to that scene in uk dk in the bristol squat with like <laughs> oh. evicts and shit i fucking lose my mind i know? mean if you want to just do like a quote along like if you want to just put it on and mute it i'll just like we can just do the whole thing I'm moving not. their fucking hair to drink the cider making oh. jokes oh it's so good he's acting you know, like mr bean and him it's taking like, it talking about putting soap in his hair and how when you wash your hair every six months or whatever yeah. a lot falls out like oh, man it's great uh, the, the beautiful self-deprecating humor of the united kingdom is kind of exemplified beautifully in that bristol squat you know um, i've i've seen uk like to say i've seen uk dk more than i've seen like the godfather is like a, a joke obviously because i've but i've seen uk dk more than i've seen a lot of things You've probably seen him on The Godfather. No, no of course I like have. 32 no. minutes long. No, I'm, I'm saying, like, of course <laughs> I have. You know, like, it's not even, like, yeah. it's not, like, a, a, not even a, a question. thing to say. Yeah, of course I have. Um, but I've, I've seen UKDK a, a lot. I watched, I mean, that's the thing in a, a pre-YouTube world. Like, it was kind of referenced uh, in Simon's episode. Like, you'd buy, like, VHS tapes. And or and you would just watch them over and over and over again, dude. In a like, post YouTube world, I sit here and I watch those documentaries over and over again. Like I've watched Star Wars three times in the last year. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is great. And also, you know the thing that's wild is 
that dude in the kitchen with his mom, that dude was like Mackie's writing buddy. So it all comes back to punk and hardcore. Scheme. Scheme. Is that, is that the guy who's in the kitchen? With Scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like Mackie's like writing partner back in the day when Mackie was in Frontline. Or before well, Mackie yeah. was in Frontline. There was a big graffiti. Like, I didn't even talk about that. There's definitely a big graffiti punk connection mm-hmm. in the New York scene in, in that time, too. Like, I remember, I, I, I guess I can say this now, but like, I knew that Risk Nine, who was like a really big graffiti writer. I could tell because, like, he would, and he was in crews with some of like the scarier, thuggier dudes, but like he would do, he would do like little anarchy symbols and things. I was just like, there's something about this guy. And I heard that he was in one of the kind of choking victim related bands, maybe in DK or maybe (laughs) choking victim. And I remember asking Sturgeon, and choking victim, like, is Risk Nine in your band? And he said, I can't say anything. And I was like, oh, please tell me. Please yeah. tell me that's Risk Nine. But yeah, that was definitely like, that was, that was a cool part. That was kind of on, that was something that I discovered like as I was getting older, kind of like before I left for college, like this sort of punk show then go bombing and kind of bringing other graffiti writers who weren't into punk to punk sh- this is kind of like the way the community was expanding or had or was already had already expanded me discovering that sort of people who were liked the music but weren't really part of the kind of social politics of the scene and that was a bit that was kind of refreshing and that's the I thing felt. with abc's matinee shows is that you could do them and then go do something else yeah, yeah. And it was like it was like pretty natural to like people you like like a lot of people that I became friends with from ABC, it's because the show would be over and it'd be like seven thirty. It's like, well, do yeah. you wanna get wanna get dinner or do you wanna like go to generation and like, like hit stores afterwards just cause? Because it seems like dumb to just go home. And yeah, stores were open after the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. New York's like that too. Like things are open super late, so you can kind of go out at seven o'clock and everything's still open. My, it's, yeah. probably, it's probably different now. It is different now. The last time I was there, I've... I think that like I think that eight o'clock was was the curfew. Like I think that it wasn't necessarily. You might be able to correct me on this story, like, but like I think that like shows had to be over by eight. It wasn't like they just would end around eight, and so like often they would end like you said like seven or six thirty or something like that. And there be, but I mean there was occasional night shows. Like I, I went to a few like non-Saturday night shows where they would be like a touring band, and for some reason they were just doing an, an atypical day. But Saturday was like the, the norm. I don't think I ever went to a night show then, but I don't think I, that was pro- a symptom of my, my I, age. I, I remember distinctly going to the Asoc Locust show as a night show. Um, oh my but, goodness! But I remember there being other ones. But I'm like, like that's one I. I mean, that's, I distinctly remember that one, but, you know. That, yeah. tour, that was a tour, Go right? Assuck and Locust, right? Because I think I remember that coming to Toronto with Jenny Piccolo, Reversal of Man, Assuck and Locust. Yeah, that sounds right. I think Jenny Piccolo played that show, too. Um, yeah, but, I mean, that, that must, yeah, that wasn't, like, just a, a random happenstance. Um, right. But that was, yeah, like, I feel like later. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that was later. I was, like, a little later for me. Like, I feel like Locust weren't on my radar at the time I was talking about, uh, or maybe weren't around yet. I don't really know, but yeah, I mean, the night shows were just like, 
at CBGBs or Cornell and High or like yeah. weird places in Brooklyn. Or, you know. or wet, Wetlands was kind oh, of wetlands, like, yeah. yeah, Wetlands was cool. I mean, in the pyramid, but like Brooklyn didn't really seem like it was really a thing until later. Like, I feel like I went to a show in Brooklyn. No, I went, I went to more than a show, but I, I went to like probably less than five shows in Brooklyn in the nineties. What was the anarchist bookstore that I remember, uh, ruination played there. Oh, with um, an, an Artie Phillies band played there and he was wearing a Stalin shirt and got into a, like a massive debate with someone in the crowd about it. Jeez, fuck, what was it called? My friend, like, all my friends worked there. Uh, I would hang out there. It was like near Alt Coffee. God damn it, this is going to kill me. Do you know, Dave? It wasn't like Blackout Books or something like that. No, it was that, like, it, was... it wasn't like, it had like a, I think a woman's name, if I remember correctly. Jesus Christ, I'm tempted to use the old Google, but I'm not going to. That's cheating, Tom. I know. I feel like I only saw Ruination at ABC or in... Like, Can I, I saw text Ruination. somebody? No, this was okay? fucked up. This was the first fucked up show. Sorry, Ruination... The only time I ever went to ABC No Real, Ruination played Ru- ABC No Real. Sorry, this was the very first fucked up show in Brooklyn that we played. The Celebrity no, Murders. It wasn't Blackout? It wasn't Blackout, but I almost feel like... Hmm. I don't think it was called Blackout. Uh, You're nothing about Kate's joint, which was the vegan that, that no, food. I, that's, that's where I ate that yeah. night. But uh, no, that yeah. was not where we played. Um, it was somewhere different in Brooklyn, but it was like one of those things where it was, yeah, like I remember, you know, you didn't even hear about shows in Brooklyn. You didn't even see about flyers in Brooklyn till a little bit later. Like I'm sure there was, obviously was stuff, but it felt like it was really like that that vice, the vicification of Williamsburg. And now now it's like, I don't know. It just seems like for a while, it's probably changed actually again now, but like for a while, it was just like only things happened in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. But, but I do think that like that's where a lot of the kind of like disassociate, distraught, sort of like older yeah. punks live. I saw public, yeah. I saw public nuisance in Brooklyn um, at the brewery. Um, I, yeah, but like I, I went to, I went to Steve's apartment. I went to Todd's and Neil's place. Like they all lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, they did. Um, I remember. I played a show. I don't know if you're at the show, and I found out later that it was like the last Os Rotten show, uh, which I didn't know. And it was Tulsa Doom played, and there was like a. It was strange because like this was kind of there were. A lot, like a bunch of women in the crowd who were moshing really intensely and knocked, and there was no stage and knocked, we kept knocking the microphones into like Eric and Corey, mm-hmm. and like, you know, which we've all, we've all been there as, as correct, a, as a instrument playing uh, musician or even not, but it like, where it's, there's, yeah, where you just kind of like, you can't, you know, you're, you're playing your guitar and then it's just, your mic just keeps punching you in the face. And I remember, Somebody in the band said, like, use the term ladies. Oh, to man. To say, like, yeah, oof. Yeah. And I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. But, uh, yeah, like, hey, I love the. It was very sweet. It's like, I love that you're into the music. Like, hey, ladies, I love that you're into the music. But if you could just try, try to, like, avoid under the microphone stands. Anyway, that was the uh, wrong terminology to use. And, like, it caused a kind of quicker end to the set and a, like, longer debate that went from that venue to Sweetwater, the bar, mm-hmm. which was walkable. It had to be. And so, like, wherever that was, who fucking knows? It's so funny to think about where those places were. It was probably, like, a block away from the bedroom station. Was it, like, the ship's mast or something like that? 
No, because that was on, that's where Diner is now. That was on Broadway. This, this was some, okay, I just remember hearing that King Diamond lived a block away and would it, it was possible that he would show up to the show. <laughs> if you ever knew, if you knew where King Diamond lived in 1999, then that would help figure right. out this venue. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if it was Oz Rotten in New York, there's no reason why I wouldn't have been there. But I don't re- remember that. But it, it, are you saying you, that Oz Rotten's canceled? Is that kind of the they got canceled? There. The takeaway. Yeah, was, but I did. But I think it was. I think it was. So, I was so. I was like on my way out. Like, and I remember. I didn't know. But I think it was like you know. It was the big four, baby. It was like <laughs> distraught, Oz Rotten, Tulsa Doom, and I don't know. Dissociate. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of a different vibe, though. So you're saying this is later Earth also doing so it's like Simon in a hat, you know, so it's like really oh, like yeah. you're yeah, checking Simon out in a fucking hat, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude, there is this Tulsa Doom show. It's so weird. I show this to my girlfriend. This is there's one full Tulsa Doom show at ABC No Rio on YouTube. And I'm like, am I I stand near the door. I'm playing guitar, but I have a hood on and a hat, and I stay nothing i don't move at all it's very strange very divish actually yeah that I was, was just you. kind of that was me baby yeah yeah after, um, after you stop being like a mohawk dude it's just like this dude's wearing hats he's out like he's not looking punk anymore he's yeah there. that's it i was just like Stuart there you know just being like checked out like what happened to you <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking big mohawk Stuart. yeah yeah r.i.p uh, i know but that was, that's a good story too <laughs> yeah <laughs> um wait i don't like, to yeah, I, I, I like so much. Of me wants to like name drop funny people, but like yo, straight up, so many of them are dead that it's like yeah. it's not funny. Um, but that's like that was you know if if you like amount of like just crazy street people that you want to like just joke reference like name drop funny people like yeah they're they're dead so yeah but you know you can still talk about like Big Mohawk Stewart was named Big Mohawk Stewart because he because he had a big mohawk. I mean everyone everyone had different names for him. We called him Angry Stewart because he looked so mad. Right, but was just then, a, he, he had a resting bitch face though. I think. And then my other friends in New Jersey called him Beret Man, because after right. he stopped being a big Mohawk guy, he was like a uh, like an extra from another state of mind, like oh, got the beret. A, a beret guy, eyeliner. But yeah. Da- for for the listener at home slash for Damien's benefit, st- I don't know if you would have ever seen Stuart because I don't remember exactly when he passed, but he was uh, a, a self proclaimed muscle punk, okay. so he was. You know, probably like a, an appropriate height, like six feet tall, like not super tall, not short, but was probably like two seventy five, like just like a linebacker, jacked, like jacked mm-hmm. guy, like yeah. this this dude Josh that I talk about in my episode, I assume, um, he was like when that dude started like lifting weights a little bit, Stuart like was like got so excited, it's like oh, like he realized it right away that this like scrawny sixteen year old was starting to like get some bulk. And he's like, hey, man, are you, are you lifting? Like, muscle punks, man. Like, this is awesome. And, like, was super stoked on it. But he was, like, a, a big guy who was a, a stage diver, so that's always fun. And, yeah. uh, was, and uh, like, he's dead, so sorry. But, like, a dude that had one of those, like, JFA 83 shirts when they, like, remade them and tried to act like he got it then. It's like, right, he was dude. pulling the shit that I pulled with you, Dave. Where he, yeah, but, you, like... You, but he's older. Like he's, I don't. I, right. He's older than me. Like I get it. You know. But yeah. he but, wasn't that much older than you. In 1983, he was probably like 10. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he, but he definitely wasn't seeing JFA. 
But you, I had a sleepover with him once, and this is what he was. <laughs> I did. I Why? Did. How did that happen? Well, be, because John from Social Disease, who Dave, you have your own opinions about, um, lived. He was in my band, and he was like kind of, you know, he was around my age. And I remember just like after a show, my parents okayed me sleeping in his house, and Stuart, who I think lived in West. Westchester, somewhere like that. He was in Westchester. Yeah. So, but he was Liberty Spike Stewart at the time. So I remember watching him get ready for bed, and he didn't. He didn't want to like put his hair down. So he he slept on his stomach with his elbows down <laughs> and his head resting on his fists. If you can kind of get the image, so his head was up and not touching anything, so his hair could stay intact throughout the night. You know, Simon, are you trying to tell me you never slept like that? Um, not like that. Yeah, no, you were kind of like Liberty Spike Dave. When, yeah, when I had when I had spiked hair and I like went to a show at the Pipeline to go back to that, um, I would sleep on my face when I came home from because <laughs> I because mm. I'd get home at like one in the morning on a school night, and then I would just so I could sleep that bit later. I would sleep on my face to then just go to school the next day, you know, without having to do any of that other shit. Well, see, I would fucking wake up at like five forty-five a.m. to put up my hair. You know what I mean? Like, which is insane. But yeah. I was also a Mohawk, Simon. I was never Liberty Spike, yeah. Simon. So I could sleep on the side of my head, fine. Yeah, that was easier. And I would do Bi-Hawk, or like, but I would only have it on. I would never do Tri-Hawk because I need one side for sleeping. You never had a Tri-Hawk? Yeah, I probably did. But you know, Tri-Hawks are also easy to, but they're easy to put. The, but the side hawks are always smaller than the main hawk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could. <laughs> 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 So, anyway, I can't even yeah. finish this fucking sentence. But, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but Stuart was a character, and yeah, yeah, he was. A, but yeah, he but he was he was a beret guy. So like my friends that are a little younger than me from New Jersey all knew him as beret man. Right. Oh no, I want I want to tell Damien this story about <laughs> him telling me I'm not punk though. Okay. <laughs> it's crucial. Um. So like after I went to college, I came back. Uh, for in the summer, and I like, was with Andrew from MGMT. You know, who's like came much more from a like fish world than anything. He never really been to a punk show or anything. And he was staying with me, and I the like loudest fuck fest was happening at CBG. We was something like that, and I wanted to go to the show. And Mike, and at this point, like I didn't look punk like at all. You know, or it's, it, I didn't look at. I, I think I looked punk, but I looked kind of like if you knew, you knew. But if you didn't know, you know, I looked normalish. And um, and my friend Mike from Tulsa Doom was currently working as a pedicab driver, right? Which you know, in case you don't know, there's like the rickshaws with the bicycle attached in front. And so Mike picked me and Andrew up at the train station in a pedicab. So I like arrived to CBGBs like looking like a preppy in a rickshaw, you know, basically. <laughs> and like Stuart, big Mohawk Stuart, who's now Beret Stuart, um, uh, sees me and he's like, Simon? I'm like, yeah. He's like, looks me up and down with like disgust. He's like, what the fuck happened to you, dude? I'm like, what do you mean? And he like tells this girl next to him. He's like, man, this kid was 12 years old and he said like, I'm going to be a punk for life, Stuart. 
And I was like, yeah, dude. But when I was 11, I said I was going to be a fucking professional baseball player. And when I was 10, I said I was going to be an astronaut. You know what I mean? But, like, <laughs> uh, he was definitely, like, very disappointed. Like, it was, the, like, the, it, the look was very important to him, clearly. But, yeah. It, it was, it, well, um, it's that was like, the last of my song. Well, I think also, like, that's, like, so much of it is, like, the security you get from being part of a group. And then when you see that group dwindling and diminishing, you're like, oh, no, I might be all alone like this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You, you got to be one of the last dudes holding on to the vibe because you were you, you were still like mini spikes in the beginning of Tear It Up, right, Dave? Um, I don't think so. No, I had by Dead Nation. I had a shaved head by the end of Dead Nation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the first time I saw you was with the shaved head. Because so to go to like the sleeping on your face thing, like to I was really of the school of thought like if you're not doing this every day, then then you shouldn't do it at all. Like I was like really like to go to uh like the SOA seven inch like don't dress up for the shows, look this way when they're at home. Mm-hmm. Like if if you were like at a certain point when my I felt like I was like not spiking my hairs often and just like putting it up periodically, and I'm like I got to stop doing this at all. Like if I'm not gonna do it every day to like go to the store and like do bullshit like then i shouldn't do it at all yeah and that's that's you know that's how i felt about it like i that's kind of at a certain point i when i stopped doing it i, I never went back to it i, I don't want to expose do, this person but there's definitely few people do yeah well there's a yeah. there's a dude who's on this podcast i don't want to say their name because i think they'd be very pissed but i remember distinctly that they would bring another set of clothes to a show if they were going out afterwards so they could hang out with their normal friends so they wouldn't be Fuck dressed. That. And they weren't even wow. like, and they weren't even that punk. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they were that's like. like opposite. You know what I mean? Like that's usually the, you leave the house in normal clothes so your parents don't get angry. Then you dress punk. Yeah, I'm going to say <laughs> also it's, it's not a member of Fucked Up who I normally rag on or anyone in Fucked Up. So just <laughs> rule was, that out. But it's yeah. someone definitely that I. Jay Maskus. Yeah. Jay, uh, Jay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that's the thing, like with Simon saying about like where he broke his arm, like. I brought norms to shows all the time. Like yeah. my friend Brooke, who is just like, just like at this point, like a MAGA norm, you know, but she saw the pissed, you know, like she, she saw dead nation, like most of our ABC shows. Mm-hmm. Um, because she just like, was like my, my a was like a girl I dated in 95. So she went to like, like she saw the, <laughs> she saw the pissed. Um, and then she, went to FIT. So she was living in New York in 97. So ultimately like random ABC shows, she would just be like, I would, there'd be dead nation. And like these three clearly norms that go to FIT, like in the back. Um, I kind of remember that actually. Yeah. Do I, I would have probably met her, right? Oh, for sure. And I'm sure she like probably was like, she's like super Italian and was probably like very rude to your face. Because that, Ooh, that that sounds was, even more familiar. Yeah, I, I was gonna say like because that was always the thing that you would like bring her, and then she would just like probably like like just make a a joke about your appearance, like make a joke about you look, being young, make a joke about like your or like older people. Like she probably was like fucking rude to like someone like Steve Distraught, being like you're thirty, like what are you doing? You know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was broke. a truth teller. <laughs> yeah, or just an asshole. You know, it's like what right, do you right. want to say about that? Was she, was she drunk? Like, would she go there and like drink and then insult people? Nope. Just, just, maybe just, if, if, if just a jerk. Yeah. Oh. 
She seems okay. like she was very insecure, and all these people that had this, you know, the security to kind of dress up like peacocks, uh, like upset her. Like having I don't never think met so, her. because because Brooke was like Brooke's the person who like in our like high school superlatives like most like unusual or something like that. You know, like she's someone who in like the like the rave part of like ninety four ninety five was like was someone who would like go to like b- get like ex girl pants and like other like weird fashion shit. Okay. Um, I like I took her to New York her as as an old person. Like I took her to New York to see kids in theaters. And it's like one of those things where it's like if if you guys as parents and me as just an older person like you know that movie came out in what like 95, 94. And I took the train to the city and it was like old hat like it wasn't even a thing that i like was nervous about it was like oh yeah just going to the city bringing in a no cell phone world like yeah mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know what i'm doing like yeah i'll bring my norm friend who wants to go do this um, but you, yeah but it was, it was fun i mean like once once the like i would bring a lot of norm i like i took pride in that you know um because it was kind of like I, it, was, it was scary. I mean, visually and atmospherically, it was it was kind of scary at first, which I experienced, and I had to kind of like push myself through. You know, as I described, I was fucking terrified. The, like for the first year of going to shows, and then once you kind of start to realize like what could happen and what will happen, you know, and what won't happen, it becomes really fun. And I think that like. People, even if they didn't like the music, the experience was so fun that they really enjoyed it, you know. And I and I would I would enjoy their enjoyment. And for sure, I mean, like, and you talked about it, like the 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 brain dance oxymoron show. Um, yeah. Like that show, it, even to date, is one of the most violent shows I've ever been to. I heard and all you, that. I, I they wouldn't let me in, but I heard. Oh, about I wasn't sure if you said you got in or not. No, um, I think I told you that I went, but but now that I'm a grown up, <laughs> I can tell you that I did not. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, never mind. Yeah. All right. Okay, podcast <laughs> over. Uh, but, <laughs> was that, it crazy? I mean, uh, well, that time in New York was fucking brutal, right? Like, you know, like well, you'd I hear mean, stories about all the shows there, but it's, you know, in, I guess including the punk shows. I, I'm, I mean, how I'm fucking 40. I've gone to see live music since I was a child. And I'll still put that as the maybe the number one, if not, it definitely in the top most violent shows I've ever been to. But I, and I can tell you what happened, even though I didn't go. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was <laughs> like, your experience like? <laughs> well, my experience is I went in there. There was this, mm-hmm. like, you know, casualties played. Uh, and then there was a skinhead who had a boxing gloves on who was just walking around the back and punching people in the back of the head to see if they would fight him. Right? Uh, they were batting gloves. But batting, oh, that's even worse. Yeah, they were just, like, regular gloves. And it was, oh. like, all those, like, kind of – I think they – were they Colombian or were they Dominican – uh, there was like a handful of those skinheads that were like like real crazy Eddie, right? Isn't he one of them? Real or dust of car Dustin. Dust. He's a his prices are insane. He was a, he was, he, he was a, a dust aficionado. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, those dudes would just go get dusted and fight, and yeah. it was just like because it was brain dance on the famous Helen Avoy records. It was a very skinhead forward show. Yeah, and uh, fuck, it was like it was really bad. Like they basically stopped having. I think the next week, the first, the week before that was the, the blanks, then the casualties, Brandon's oxymoron, and then the next week was antiheroes and Templars. Mm. And they're like, if there's fights at the next week, 
we're going to stop doing punk shows. It's like, right. well, next next week's anti-heroes. What are you guys doing? Like, <laughs> of course there's going to be fights. Yeah. Yeah. Well, CBGB's was definitely more of a skinhead heavy venue than yeah. like Coney Island High. The thing that's weird is I went to Coney Island High, a, a, not a lot, but like a, an appropriate amount. And I have like almost no memory of like how it was laid out or like, I remember the shows were always like, like, like drainingly hot. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember like the, the amount of like stage potatoes at like casualty shows there was like extremely annoying. Um, but like, yes. I, I don't have the same memories of Coney Island High as I do of like the wetlands, which I went to way less times for some reason. Coney Island High, for some, I was there. I, I could, I could describe it perfectly. Um, it was, it was red. It was really hot. It was a fire trap. It was, yeah. but it was more like run by the kind of the, you know, the heartbreakers <laughs> disciples and like, it was degenerations the, the, venue, right? Yeah. Degeneration, Jesse Mellon and like, you know, what other bands like that kind of <clears throat> people with the Keith Richards haircuts and eyeliner and yeah, yeah, Elliot stitches, yeah. Elliot stitches, jangly bracelets. And like, um, you know, and, uh, but did you go to the Discox Tom and Blue Boys show there? Yeah, of course. You remember I got knocked out there. I introduced, <laughs> I was like the MC that night. Do you remember that? No, but I, I mean, that, that, that tracks, you know, like that's not Cause, surprising. Cause I was so little and like, um, I think like the Devotchkas played maybe first, but anyway, I know that, that Elaine from Devotchkas liked me a lot cause I was little. And cute, and uh, and then Tom and Boot Boys and or Discox like were really interested in me because I was this tiny little punk. So I ended up like introducing the bands before, and I think it was Blank Seventy Seven. I introduced them, and then jumped into the crowd and was very quickly crowd surfed probably because I was so light. Yeah, you know what I mean. That was quickly like shot back to the back of the venue where the crowd ended and just went <laughs> on my head. And got knocked out and like woke up in like a office in the back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, as far as like petty bullshit, um, I saw the D- Discogs every show of their U.S. tour except the Boston show, and all of the photos on the LP are from the Boston show, and I was yeah. really disappointed. Um, yes, it's true. I, I went to see them in Nyack, New York. I, you know, like I went to like one of the weird shows. Um, but yeah, they did not. how many shows yeah, did they, they do on that fucking tour? Maybe five. I don't know. I feel like I saw them in New Jersey, New York, Nyack, New York. <laughs> Nyack, dude, that's and crazy. I don't remember if they if they played. The, I don't think they played Philly. Maybe the pipe. Maybe the the tune in. They did play. I have a flyer on my well on a many walls ago of a Philly. I mean, sorry, of a, of a pipeline show. Yeah, I definitely saw them at the pipeline. Okay, sorry, I was on yeah. I got my wires but, crossed there. But but uh, Philadelphia was historically anti spiky punk. Um, yes. so I don't think I, I don't remember if they played Philly or not. But. You know what my favorite fucking bands are? It's Dis Sucks. I love them. Still. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You want a room with a view in a world full of shit or whatever yeah. the seven inches oh, called? You got it, man. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> they were, ju- they were junkies. They were um, fucking <laughs> junkies and they were negative Nancy's. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Complain of <Soruses. laughs> Yeah. I saw them a handful of times. Yeah. They were, uh, they were good. But Andrew Martini's in in uh, Limpress now. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a I had a Limpress show. 
I remember just ha- talking to him about that, about the socks, how much I liked him. I probably uh, as far as the conversation went, but you know. I'm sure he was really like because he probably like looked very dapper and put together. And you're like, yes. hey, remember when you were like this band with all junkies and everyone looked <laughs> bad? Like even for homeless people, you looked bad. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they would beat they would beat spiky punks up in Philly. I remember that. Jeez. Yes, save save hairspray, kill a casualty. Yeah, but uh, then the virus happened. Well, right? But there was also a band called uh, they weren't oh, fuck. What were they? They weren't dehumanized because that was a band from New Jersey. But they had a name similar to that was a D oh, band. I know what you're talking about. And the dude, the dude was named Chris. He was like like the skinniest punk I've ever seen. Were they on Charge J Casualties label? I think they were predate. They might have been on like, uh, yeah, they were probably on Punch Night One, but they mm-hmm. were they were. I don't remember them having like a real release. And now I'm gonna look it up because now it's gonna bother me. But right, but the dude's name was Chris for sure, and I can't think of anything else about them. But they there was like very few like punks kind of bands in Philly. Um, I forgot about the Dis Sucks Casualties beef until yeah. you said that. Yeah, um, mm. on on a. Uh, Sleeping over an old man's house. Um, <laughs> you got to do it. When I when I was seventeen, I uh, I'll say that I'll name names because there was nothing nefarious. I stayed at a uh, Matt from Banner of Hope's house, the drummer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, he was definitely thirty when I was seventeen because I drove to wherever he lived and then went in the van with them to, to play Kill Time and then slept at his house because we got back so late. Well, I had a sleepover with Steve Distraught at your house, Dave. You know what I mean? That can't be true. Did Steve yeah. Distraught stay at my house? <laughs> yeah, with me. After <laughs> I told this story about the Code 13 show, and after that happened, we drove to your house, your you sure parents' was... house. It might have been Stuart's house. Nah, dude, he wasn't even there. It was I... us three. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, it's not weird yeah. in hardcore. Like that's like the one thing. Like you know, like I was trying to think about trying to explain this to people that like yeah, you know, like it was it was cool that I had friends that were fifty, and I was like seventeen because we traded records together, so it wasn't weird, right? You know, like I met this guy through collecting records, and and you know, and it was and there, it wasn't ever weird. Like there were like you know, but there were definitely the other side, of course, and there were people that yeah. were terrible you know and victimized yeah. young people but but, but at the do same you time, have any 17 year old friends now no no i could not <laughs> right. imagine like i could yeah i like i just can't even imagine hanging out with like a, like you know like like it's it's just so bizarre to me but like i guess also i don't know if the scene functions in the same sort of way now yeah i probably not like you needed I, information right like you were you relied on each other so much for like you know, taping records or, or trading records or trading zines. It just felt like that was a lot more necessary, that kind of like person to person networking. Damien, how old were you when you started to tour? The first, f- well, because I roadied for uh, The Swarm in the summer of 99. And, mm-hmm. and we didn't play New York, we drove through New York. Um, but they did like Philadelphia, they did New Jersey, they did, uh, you know, like a, I forget, North Carolina, Virginia type thing. Um, and then I roadied for Ruination in early 2000, which is the first time I met Mr. David Up. We drove mm-hmm. Timmy Hefner 
uh, in the car, and he was going to give David up the Blurg comp because he knew Dave really wanted the Blurg comp. No, it wouldn't have been the Blurg. I would might, might have been Son of Blurg. I had Son of Blurg. Maybe it was Son of Blurg. Yeah. <laughs> like he had gotten it, and, and he, he sat in the middle. It was like a fucking sedan. So like someone in the middle was definitely not not a comfortable ride. Right. Um, but you guys, pl- we saw uh, tear it up at ABC No Rio, and I got my road rash pressing of the seven inch. Mm-hmm. Um, at that show and, and yeah, and, but then fucked up really started touring 2003, I guess, 2004. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Did you go through, did you ever go through like a spiky hair phase? No, no, I was like, I, we, you know, like you're, you're, you know, you're like you were saying in your episode, you know, you're kind of like the victim or at the mercy of the people that are, you're exposing people. Yeah. So, uh, Toronto, it like the scene was, you know, Toronto's like a very conservative city, like a very Protestant city. Like we used to have Sunday shopping rules. And so I think the same way, like the hardcore scene was, it wasn't conservative politically, but just like everyone was kind of like fairly moderate, you know, the BFGs, the bunch of fucking goofs had really kind of kicked all the dealers out of Kensington market. So the drug scene was like a lot more underground than Mm. other scenes and other places. Like we were talking about it, like, the idea of like a murder junkies gang going around marauding and just beating up kids would yeah. not have flown in Toronto because the bunch of fucking goofs. Now they have their own issues and, and I'm sure people could bring up problems that the BFGs had, but one of the cool things about the BFGs is we had no Nazis in Toronto. We had no, you know, we just, that shit just didn't exist because there was this like punk police force basically. And right. And so, like, we were all just, like, into, like, hardcore, like, Japanese hardcore, super young, and, like, you know, there were there were spiky punks here, but it was just, like, it was, like, a real kind of separate scene. Like, you know, D- Dave knows Simon Harvey. Simon Harvey was, like, who's still around, does Ugly Pop Records. He was kind of, like, the older punk, and he had the craziest record collection ever. So the stuff we were getting into was, like, still, like, the best stuff. Like, I, like, go back, and I'm, like... Holy shit, I was into Bastard like at like 17 years old, 16 years old we were being exposed to that record just because we lucked out and had these yeah. people. Well, you know, always, but like I don't know, Dave, I'm like did you because I, you know, I I like literally left the city and I feel like which is kind of what I talk about how I did, I'm like never I never saw Terra. And like um do you think as somebody who kind of like stayed within the scene, like did you did it change and become kind of chiller and less? Well, beca- because I kind of like moved away from the spiky punk scene because not because like the things I liked, I still like, like, uh, you know, left to my own devices. I'm going to just listen to like UK 82 punk, like right. once a week, you know, if not more, like that's what I like love. But I think with, with, the, with like the casualties, in like 97 or 98 when they started like touring heavy right they were like a, a big part of the scene so that i think that when the like the the band that was like the draw stopped playing often then you just kind of got like the lesser bands no offense or offense i don't care like i just wasn't like as excited to go see the devotchkas you know like i wasn't as excited like the blanks i kind of fell off at the second lp so like and they kind of started playing less. So it's like the bands that I was going to see kind of faded off. And then the next crop I didn't care about. Like, I didn't care about the cuffs and bullshit like that. Right. Um, well, it's, it's almost like, you know, 
the casualties are gone. Like I like to see the divash because if the casualties are playing, but that's you know, it's almost like going to see uh, I don't know the Godfather <laughs> to use that example again. You know, <laughs> and there's and there's no there's no Pacino. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like a, I mean, seeing Oi Boy or Girl is fine, but like I don't need to like pay oh real God. money to go do that. Um, right. So, so the I, scene died. There you go. Well, <laughs> I went, I, so the thing is, I got more crust. You know, so right. my, I got more out of like spiky punk stuff and then like went ABC No Rio. And then when Tear It Up started playing more, that's really when I checked out of ABC No Rio because it's, I was, once Tear It Up really got going, we played generally three weekends a month. So I would have, have like one weekend where I wasn't playing somewhere. And that weekend was like, did I want to go to a show? Totally. Like, I wanted to just stay home. And, I just didn't. So I, the ABC in Rio also like any like college town scene, ABC in Rio because of like New York colleges would just go in waves where I really liked going to see like distraught and Astroland every weekend. But when it got like more arty and you just get a different booking agent that like booked crap, then yeah. it wasn't as fun. Totally. Uh, you'd still get, you'd still get touring bands and I'd go see touring bands. But like when it, when it got artier, I didn't care. Like I need I, I aggressive, angry music, and I don't need like experimental music. Like even like the bands like the Scabs that we saw a lot when they started getting like more electronic. I didn't. Care. Right. Well, I'm going to be honest, man. I, I I watched the Scabs video recently. It's it from it does not the uh, it does not age well for me personally. Mm-hmm. At the time, I loved it because it was something different. But like, uh, yeah. But I know what you're talking about. What Things about- just start to kind of expand. What about the fact that I just found this out the other day? What about the fact that Blank 77's bass player, Tim? Uh, or Jeff, we go with Brendan? We go on Jeff? We, what are we going on? Jeff. Like? Jeff, right? Uh-huh. Was AFI. the bass player in AFI, yeah. Also in Tiger Army, but also in the Canadian band Forbidden Dimension, which is the band that I believe came out of Personality Crisis, if I'm not mistaken. Really? What was he in first? Uh, AFI. So Jeff is a weird member of the blanks because I don't know. I, I definitely never saw Jeff blanks. So I don't know how long he was in it. He's not in any records as far as I know. Cause right. it was, I it don't was, know who he is. It was because it was Brendan, the super fucking crust punk dude who's on like the 10 inch and everything earlier. Right. And then it was Jeff for like maybe a tour. And then it was Tim from the broken Hero. Heroes, and that's like the dude you think of. Like, uh, but I never saw them with Brendan. I'm gonna and look. At his, was, I want to look up his cogs. Brendan was in the, the the played on the that band, The Deceived. Do you have that seven inch Simon? Uh, e, e, wait. I think I might be thinking about something. I'm thinking about like called, Portland Deceived. Is that am I no, wrong? I'm you're wrong. Deprived. Think was, deprived. You're thinking de- you're deprived or yeah, that's like pre-defiance. Yeah. Um, Deceived had a seven inch called Smash Patriarchy. It was like a like it was like a, in a, a tribal war distro staple. It was on like Eugene Records. It I still like, think I think I, I still think I know it. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, you should have had it. Um, it was great, and he sang in that band. But apparently, t- that dude was like had like real bad social anxiety, so mm-hmm. he just like was never around. I, I I only met him. I saw he was in he was in Devastation. Remember them? Yes. He played he played in Devastation as well. Okay, but uh, but yeah, I, Jeff is like, like like it's just a like a it's like the Pete Best 
or like you know, it's like a naming a weird guy that was in the band for a minute member of the blanks right it's kind of like mike fellows from rights of spring was in like every he was in like fugazi for a second then he quit he was in fucking royal trucks for a second i feel like he's like the guy who's like just was there for a little bit and decided it wasn't for him then all those bands yeah. kind of could have made him some money they'd be like oh, royal trucks you, but, you know you know kenny from the casualties it's like yo he wasn't really a casualty he was, he was a cray baby yeah <laughs> he was also a a, a ricket um, right. a, rivet, a rivet, rivet, rivet. I mean, yeah, right. I never saw the rivets, sadly. No, I saw Rachel do the intro to For the Punks at a casualty show, but I never saw the rivets. Um, and you probably saw 82 Gremlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't really remember them though. You, they were not. They were not the rivets. They were not what you wanted. Right. I think. I think Mark Yoshi was in the was in that band too. So I think you were getting some real. OG casualty vibe. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, was, was Blank 77. See, I always thought of them as very kind of locally popular, but not really outside of the kind of tri state area, not really a big deal. And Damien, I guess I'm asking you, like, did you know about them in the 90s, like at the time, or like. Sorry, which band? Blanks, 77. Oh, 77, sorry. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. They came up mm. here. They came up to Toronto uh, and played the Rivoli uh, at least once. We had a, we had, did have like, uh, we did have a punk scene here, uh, as I mentioned, the BFGs and Armed and Hammered was the other kind of main band. And the Armed and Hammered people were friends of the Blank 77s people. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, uh, yeah, and they were, they were an amazing band. Armed and Hammered used to cover like Ace of Spades by Motorhead. And I know that sounds corny, but at the time it was killer. Yeah. And, and yeah. they were, they are a band that I look back upon and I, Mike used to describe them as Toronto's poison idea. And I, the records don't necessarily back that up as much as you'd hope, but at the time yeah, that, they, they felt that way. Yeah. yeah. That's, a big, that's a big claim. Yeah. yeah but like every idea. band, you know, right. you're not saying it's better than poison. Idea. You're just saying it's the local version of. Right. Okay. Right. I think poison idea had an aversion to a long time because their vibe, and I was actually talking with uh, uh, MGMT's tour manager, Craig, about this. He had the same thing that, like, I had such a kind of an aversion to, like, the murder junkies and even, like, but also dwarves and, like, bands that I just associated with, like, scum heroin punk. That in my mind, Poison Idea, without hearing much of them, I just associated with that world, Anties, too, which I just didn't like. I just wrote off because of personal experiences. So it wasn't until a fair amount later that I realized how incredible they were, you know, like until like after the time I was talking about the, the thing like that, my that, like all the like junkie dudes is like, they didn't really seem to like mess with the scenes that we went to as much. Like you'd see those punks around, but like, like, I don't know that like sewage were like playing the shows we were going to all that. No, much. guys, no, I, on, on the night of sewage, unfortunately, I have to go now and pet out and pick up my, my child to bring him to uh, a doctor's appointment. We're back. I had to run, and uh, now we're picking it up where we uh, left off, kind of, we think. Uh, uh, sewage gigs. Who were sewage? See, as I recall, Dave, you said it wasn't like I was going to sewage gigs, meaning sewage were just like part of the kind of... Would you like to explain sewage, Dave? No, I'll, I'll, you do it first, and then I'll... Okay, I'll... okay. So sewage were, or are, a... Uh, 
like Correct. New, you know, I think I think self-proclaimed New York City scum punk band, which is like <laughs> what I don't know what they sound like because I don't I don't they just never really made much of an impression, but they definitely were like into heroin. Uh, the singer uh, killed somebody. That's a fact. He was convicted and went to jail. He has a well, name, Simon. His name is like polite. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm actually like outside in the park next to where I grew up right now, too. But um, is he there? Um, oh, he's in jail. He's, yeah, he's no, he's out of jail. This is the other thing. He is out of jail, and I've been seeing him around the neighborhood I live in now, uh, going on what looks like Tinder dates with like pretty normal women. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, do you have to say on your Tinder profile that I've been in jail for the last 20 years for murder? Um, or like, can you just, is that just something that comes up after like the, the fucking I, third Appletini? I think you I would, should. I, think that's like, that's not, I feel like that's a first date thing. I feel like you might bring that up later. Like third date. That might be the, have I, you been to jail for murder? I have. Yeah. Right. Like, but, I, but I was framed. I was framed. You know, yeah, like I think that would be something that you'd want to know. There yeah. was another band that so sewage is the name that came to mind, but there was another like sewage adjacent band that had a girl singer that played. Oh. Yeah, I think is it? Uh, shit. Keep going. Keep going. Keep the, going. But they uh, they played ABC. I don't think I ever saw sewage. Um, Sewage's singer was named Spike. And he was a he had blonde spiky hair, which I also had. Yes, he um, did. So random like murder junkie crust women would call me baby Spike, even though like he's probably <laughs> oh, like a year I older than me. Remember that? No, he's older than you. I mean, he's older than me, but he's not like he's not like he's twenty years older than me. Like he him and if if he went to high school, him and I would probably have been in high school at the same time. Like he's older than me, but he's not like Mike did I old. But there was a band that I associate with sewage that I saw. Deviant, Deviant behavior. Deviant behavior. Deviant behavior is the correct answer. Good job. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the they very were, similar. Very they were similar. not good. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they weren't. They didn't seem to have a strong moral compass. Although they were kinder. To me, oh, uh, the woman—the woman who called me Baby Spike was very nice, but yeah. it was like one of those situations where you're like, "Well, I'm like 16, so you're like nine. and right. they would be like, "It'd be like this girl is playing ABC No Rio with electrical tape as a and no shirt." Right. Uh, I'm very uncomfortable because she could kill me. <laughs> I don't want to leave, but I also don't want to feel like I'm ogling them like uh right yeah i yeah. i definitely did not have enough experience at all with the naked breast to know how to handle at that point to know how to handle the the electrical taped <laughs> breasts in the same room as me at that age you know what i mean like i didn't yeah I I, it would just make me feel really uncomfortable my palms would sweat i would look at the ceiling then thought that was mm -hmm. rude you know what i mean yeah um yeah especially because you were like probably like you know, it was ABC, you know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a scary show. So you're like quasi to the front and then that happens. You're like, oh, now I'm just really up here. Do I go somewhere? What do I do? And they weren't yeah. good. 
so you're they like, were, but they, but the yeah. thing about them is like what makes me think they're older, like, is that they had like been around forever. It seemed, you know what I mean? Like, not as a band, but as like on the scene. And, and Spike, polite too, as well. Like, I just had that feeling that they just fucking, you know, were there. Like, yeah, when fucking, you know, hanging out, like going to fucking. Amy Murray and Roger Murray, you know, child's first birthday party or something. Like, I just, <laughs> which is I don't know if they were that. I don't think they were that old, but they were definitely like playing. Like, Sewage is on one of those like Beer Olympics flyers, so they were a band in like '92 or '93. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that real like in the like post like like Sunday matinee New York like that kind of like punk desert where I don't really know what was going on post nausea i guess there was like there was bands like that were on like squatter rot two and three right. that are you know filling that gap before like the casualties denied punk scene like seemed to like in public nuisance seemed to like pick new york street punk back up right um and then it stopped like because denied were like not political but not not political i mean it was a politician zoo but like they they were they weren't oz rotten you know, no, but, but they, they, Denied, Denied seems to kind of have the same vibe as, like, Poison Idea in the sense that they were heavily influenced by, like, British crust punk, but yeah. more musically than, but, like, also graphically, you know, and, like, <laughs> and like naming, you know, I don't remember the name of this, but, like, naming an album, like, The War to End All Wars is the war, but whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no. Politician Zoo is is the only denied song I can just pull off the top of my head to name a denied song, but I can't name it a second one. I thought when right. you did that, it was a reference, and I was like, that is going to be the most obscure reference ever if you're referencing a denied song in the conversation about this obscure band denied. Yeah, I did that. That's what I'm here for. That's Everyone knows for. why I come to Turned Out of Punk is to <laughs> name drop a denied song. Um, Dude, denied were fucking good, man. I mean, that's seven. That's all I know. I know four songs. They were good. It had, you know, it, 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 clicked, it checked all the boxes. I didn't realize that Mike denied was Mike denied until no. later. Well, I mean, so Simon did not see the denied. I did not see the denied. Right. I don't like they were they they predate my involvement in New York punk. Same. I mean, um, but they also uh, do you want to want a good fun fact on the denied for uh, for Damien for everyone. Um so Steve? Stuart, Stuart uh, okay. Schrader, not not uh, Mohawk Stuart, um, no. got the denied seven inch first, and uh, I borrowed it. I listened to it on the wrong speed, and then was like, Psh, "Yeah, I'm buying this." <laughs> was it too fast or too slow when you listened to it? <laughs> too slow. Too slow. I listened to it on thirty three, and I'm like, "This is kind of weird." But like, yeah, did it I'll say thirty three on it? No, it said nothing. Yeah, it said just nothing. So, so like, neither sounded right. Um, but in going back to it, if you, if you, the listener have the denied seven inch, if you play it on 33, it's clearly wrong. So right. I don't know how I played it and was like, yep, cool. I mean, I think I made my mind up that I was going to like it and buy it no matter what it sounded like. But, um, but yo, slow. That's the thing. So slow, it kind of sounded like Econo Christ when yeah. it was too slow. Like, and I actually had a little bit of a, a, a RP, uh, RPM disc you know, dis- discrepancy with, uh, with, with, with train to serve the first Econochrist record I bought, even though it was an LP, I remember being like, because, you know, it's a little bit like, <laughs> yeah. it's a little like slow motion 
uh, sounding, like slowed down sounding singing, and it's like it's obviously fast, but it's kind of like more of the like East East Bay fucking. It's like you know, even though they were from, but yeah, they're from yeah. Memphis, right? Yeah. No, from, no, from they're from uh, the Bay Little Rock, Little Rock, Little, Little Rock, Rock oh, Arkansas. Yeah. yeah, of course. I and then they moved to Berkeley. They're like the, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite bands ever. But I totally get what you're saying. It's like I can totally see that you know being something where uh, you know it's a it's a, like a step down almost. It feels like yeah. But it's, that's yeah. what makes it, it so powerful to me too. Exactly. It, the, the, neither the Econo Price record or the Denied record on the wrong speed isn't like that far off than like the Rorschach first LP as far as like the speed seems wonky. Yeah. And the Rorschach record, like once it kicks in, you're like, okay, I get it. But you don't Mike... so, like the fir- Oh, go on. Go ahead. No, no, go on. I was going to say like the first 10 seconds, you might be kind of confused. Cause it's like the, like Rah. for the, like the first, Rah. like, yeah, for the first few years I knew Mike, his turntable recorded, it was like too fast. Everything was too fast. Mm-hmm. So he'd, like, you'd be listening to bands like, Lifetime and all this stuff, and it would all be like kind of like chipmunk speed. And then you put on Youth of Today, and Ray Capo's voice, when it's just a step too fast, like that sounds crazy. It was- <laughs> I mean, I think we've talked about it, but my uh, criminally insane tape is too fast. Yeah, you said that. <laughs> yeah, you did. Tell me. And it, and like it's because, and it's great because it comes off more thrashy. Yeah. Like it's definitely not like a metal demo you know yeah but it comes off more thrashy and it's like this is great and then well, the I band got the, like, sounds tighter you know yeah <laughs> well that happened with, Th- with Thulsa Doom so like what gave Thulsa Doom a second life is that like when somebody digitalized um our split seven our side of the split seven inch with distraught and it's only in mono so there's like an entire guitar part missing so I remember when like we started to play it live we were like what are you doing um <laughs> and it's also too fast. So, like, I've seen YouTube videos of, like, a guy playing both human mm-hmm. and, like, both humans in open E. And there's a lot of, there's a riff in the middle, the quiet riff. It's like, you can only play if it's an open E. If not, you have to be, like, Ingve Malmsteen. So I watched this guy trying to play it in, like, F sharp. And he's just, like, moving his hand around, like, the, the like, <laughs> fucking fretboard like a maniac. It's just, like, sweating. I'm like, dude, it's... It's really easy. Like you just, but like if you play it in the wrong key, the speed that it was recorded, it's incredibly difficult. So I mean, yeah, man. I mean, that's but you—that's the the shredder that you were. Like, uh, did I? I don't remember if I said this uh, in any of our group texts or previously, but when I talked to uh, a friend of mine who was uh, in a band around then as well, I'm like, oh, I've been talking to Simon from Tulsa Doom. He's like, oh, I remember that kid just seemed like 11 and way too good at guitar. So that is that is the legacy that you have. Well, I learned I learned yeah, well I learned to shred. I was like very into shredding and then I like since 1999 I was never in a band that required shredding, you know. Yeah. So I yeah. just have this like what am I going to do with all this shred, bro? <laughs> you know. Um, I mean the next yeah. the Spiralheads LP is, is all metal though, right? Like, oh, oh dude, it's all thrash. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Hell Get yeah. on the thrash wagon as some people <laughs> yeah. would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah but fucking yeah, I don't know I, I think that another thing but I remember one of the things that kind of going back to which you keep talking about the denied or it's denied related it's like <laughs> something that Dave you said to me so just I think we said this at the beginning of the uh, um, 
maybe like that podcast, but like, you know, since, since I did the turn out of punk episode, Dave and I have reconnected via mm. social media. But like one thing that was after you listened to it, that was interesting is like, you also didn't drink at the time and like you didn't, and you also lived in New Jersey. So I think like you wouldn't go see bands like sewage, but like, and neither would I, but like, <laughs> I would do a lot more hanging out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that's when all the bad shit happened. <laughs> like, there was scary shit at shows, but, like, a lot of the fucking, like, the hanging out was almost just, like, scary shit without the soundtrack, you know? Yeah, I mean, my hanging out, I would go to, like, because I was just a record nerd. So I would go to, like, Steve Distraught's house, his apartment, and punish him. Or I'd go to Neil's house and do tribal war work for, like... Right. Like... Like not a, you wouldn't really want to call it a wage. Like I would work for him for hours and then get like ten dollars off at and front and at the discount. discount at the store. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't care. I was just like yeah. talking to this yeah. old dude about like seeing discharge or whatever, and then working for free as yeah. he like would wander away. And then it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And same with Steve Distraught. I remember. You know the funny thing is, as as now being ten years older than Steve was then. Those dudes were so stingy with record trades for being like old guys that like definitely bought those records new or or like used and like discounted. They wouldn't trade for shit. Like I feel like you <laughs> go there and be like, oh, like I see you have three copies of the Skeptics Peace Force seven inch. Would you like to trade one? No. Like yeah. Steve Distraught may have had seven copies of the Ultra Violent seven inch, like the Crime for Revenge. Like I don't know if that's on which which UK punk label that's on like No Future or whatever, and I didn't have one. And he, he like his trade for it was so he wouldn't trade legitimately for it. And you like you it looks like you you distro this. Why won't you give me one or sell me one? Yeah. Skeptics, man. It's like see, I feel like in my mind, tell me if this makes any sense. I feel like okay. skeptics ejected. Even like maybe court martial, although they don't really fit what I'm about to say. Like I uh -huh. feel like they were almost like, you have now completed first level punk. Here is level two. You no, know, definitely, definitely. Like there, here are some bands that were around at that time, but they're not on punk and disorderly. Although court martial might be. Um, they're on like two or three. Yeah, and they're not in UKDK. You know, and like, but like. Teach Teacher, teacher, can I get extra credit? All right, exactly. Here's the dead. Here's the dead wretched seven inch. Oh, right there, you go. There you go. Yeah, I had a skeptic. I had the. Did I buy it? Who did I, did I buy it from? You. I had the worst skeptic shirt in the world. Was it just uh, like the black shirt with the uh, like not Peace Force, the routine machine art? Yeah, but it was like it was kind of like it was. It looked like it was painted on a little bit, like not screen. Was that you? Some, but maybe Stewart. We no, Stuart and I screen skeptic shirts. We okay, well, skeptics, Mau Mau's, and Chaos, like the Finnish band shirts. Chaos with the K. Yeah, yeah. If you want to go Chaos, if you really want to be like, I don't know, it Kaos. definitely means Chaos. I don't no, know. It's chaos. The guy's yeah. name is Yake or Jack. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're you're correct. I bought the Skeptics LP for seven dollars at an ABC No Rio record swap. Because ABC No Real record swaps would be a good mix of like dudes that are now like like at that era of version of woke, so they don't need these like brainless punk records. And I I I bought the Skeptics LP for straight seven dollars out of a dude's book bag, and and it was like 
I, as like a little punk kid, I was so excited because it wasn't reissued anywhere. And it was mm-hmm. like, this is on Steve and Jake's jacket and I can't hear this band. Right. Now, now I have the LP. And you're talking about Jake from the casualties. Not the guy from chaos. Yes. Right. Of course. Yes. I mean. Right. So yeah, yeah he, he was, he was definitely next level. Like, yeah, that was kind of like, that was a band that was okay by everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you um, want to get into like uh, street punk beef, uh, Steve takes umbrage with that because it was on Steve's jacket forever, and then it was on Jake's jacket, and then everyone like flipped out about it. He's like, "Man, I was into that band first. It's like, yeah, you're right. ten years older than him, so who cares? <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> Are you not familiar with the So the Youth LP? I, I I enjoy. Believe me, I am I'm a lover of all skeptics, but. The skeptics from New Zealand are are incredible. I just discovered I, them recently, so I'm quite partial to bands from New Zealand. So I, I I've never heard skeptics from New Zealand, but like I I I, I I'll take your side. They are the, a the, weird industrial the, kind of experimental band from the early early '80s. Also Dunedin. Mama, the the drumming on the Skeptics LP is like the Jerry's Kids LP drumming. Like it's so like it. You wonder if there's like a second snare track because it's so so busy. Like that drummer was definitely playing with like his uh, like his hi hat hand upside down like a jazz drummer or something like that. Like the drum, the drumming on that record is bonkers. And they also, uh, if we want to just talk UK punk, they they also went the, a weirder route than other people with their later material. That their songs just get like five minutes long and meandering. So they didn't go metal and they didn't go ultra pop. They just got boring. But it was like it's an boring, odd not boring. like not like rudimentary peanut. I, I honestly I love them so much that I don't fuck with their later stuff because I don't want to sully what I love. Right. I, that, I, I don't. That's the thing that is a third path for UK bands to get boring, right? Like, yeah. Like to get like mm-hmm. so serious and like just so into like darkness that it's like kind of like a proto Godspeed you Black Emperor vibe, but in hardcore. Mm-hmm. I know, Jimmy. Dude, I don't mind that though. I don't mind the boring rap. That, that I kind of like it too. You know Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. seen Godspeed play, so I, I I I like it. You know, I dig the vibe. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's weird for me. Like I'm sure it happens to everybody. Like when there's things that you didn't know existed that you liked forever, and then in the like the digital age that we live in now, you're like, how did I not even know this was a thing? But like the Skeptics are a band that you know they had those like weird, boring era comp tracks that I didn't know existed because I just didn't have the like the weird like PAX records comps or whatever the fuck they were on. Um, and then like, I didn't know about the second blitz LP till I was like in my thirties. Ooh, I was about to bring that up. Yeah. I, I love, had to kill into the daylight. Is that what it's called? It's, uh, I just talked about this. I, second the, empire justice. Second, second empire. empire yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, dude, I, that, that record right. rules. I think it's got some I, songs on it, but it's not, <laughs> I don't know if it's better than the first. Okay. One. Can I it's say one thing about not. that record? I, of course you can. I, okay. One thing. I will put that record on and people who don't know who Blitz are, who don't really ever listen to punk, who know a lot more about like Joy Division and stuff like that are like, who is this? There is something strange about it, something interesting about the way it sounds. It's almost like, yeah, it's like outsider kind of goth new wave, you know? And I I definitely am very into it. Jim from Spiralheads wears a fucking... uh, I just said the name of the record and I forgot it. But um, <laughs> Second Empire Justice. Second Empire Justice shirt, you know? Like, he's a, he's a proud supporter of that era of Blitz, you know? I and, knew about the Killing Dream. Like, because I, I got the Killing Dream 
in like 97 and I was like, this sucks. And I just didn't know there was a record between Killing Dream and Voice of a Generation until I was like in my mid 30s. I was like, wait, there's another Blitz record? Uh, right. I don't really fuck with it. Like, I really like Blitz and I really like Joy Division, but like, I, you know, I like pizza and I like bananas, but I don't need them together. You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't hate it, but it's like, it's not what I want. I'd rather just listen to the other, like, the other two things. Sure. Sure. It would be yeah, cool if they did like a whole record of just more like new age vibe songs, you know, where it's kind oh, of like, oh yeah. yeah, you know, like there's like a they had like I want you know well Neil was on the show and I don't think there are demos of this, but if there was like another sound they could have gone down, it would have been that vibe. Oh, that was kind of the fucking perfect sound. Like that's almost like something I've been trying to do forever and failing. Like I even. On, I had like Simon Dean did a solo record a couple of years ago, and there's a song called Grace Placenta. And I literally lift the fucking toms from New Age and put it on that song. Like it goes like, like I take them, I take the samples and put it on the fucking song because I love that. I was like, I, I, like, did I do it yet? I'm like, nah, this is still like, you know pedestrian <laughs> but like i that song i agree like that could have just been they could have just stayed if they could have stayed straddling like oi and fucking you know proto goth like yes oh. please yeah i mean i i love new age so i'm not i'm not saying that i only want fight to live but like uh you know it goes a little too far for me yeah no i yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying like i think there's songs that like I don't know, but like out of it's funny, who's like the of all the bands that did like like kind of like fuck you to the fan type records, like like records where they went away, what's like the least offensive slash best of those? Ooh. Fuck you to the fans. For me it's Fire and Ice by DYS. Yeah, by, you, what, by what? I ride hard so hard for that record. You ride so hard for that record. I mean, I don't hate it. I think it's fine. Like I don't love it, obviously. Like I like it more than I like uh, what you call it? Like the, like how we rock, how we rock. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, what's the best? Cause like, you know, a lot of bands and I say, fuck you to the fans records. I mean, just departure records. Cause like, you know, once you're in a band, you, you know, every time you're have to make a new record, it's like, what are we going to do this time? And you're not deliberately fucking over anyone, but so, so there's a, the UK punk band anti-system. Yeah. We're like, you know, just in the same vein as like so many other bands, their look at life. 12 inch is like real metal. And I love it. I probably like it. Like, I probably go their first seven inch, that metal twelve inch, then their their actual good LP. Like, I, I really fuck with it a lot, dude. They're, I mean, they're interesting too. I mean, even in their like punk day, like it's funny. Like seeing, I never saw a photo of them uh, until relatively recently, like on Instagram, one of the many fucking like, you know, old school punk photo accounts I follow. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize they were so like spiky hair because like they were just they were already seeming to be moving into their what we just we've decided was boring music phase, even the beginning, which I love. Like they definitely have these kind of instrumental sort of complex, like lots of reverb. Oh, like keyboards and like like, those bands loved wind also. Um, like the like anti system, like there might as well have been like a wind player. I don't mean like a woodwind, I mean like just like. (laughs) Like we know yeah, no, no, they just use they're using they're using like weird sort of kind of analog keyboard noise at, and and like I don't have you ever heard the first modern English record Gathering Yo, Dust? It's awesome. Yeah, and the song Gathering Dust off Gathering Dust. It's just the sort of like 
punk rock Hawkwind, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Type like with with like new wave new wave nods, but like the guitars so heavy. By the way, have you seen a picture of modern English currently? No. No. The guitarist, the dude, you know, the same. I think it's like it's definitely the same guitarist that it's, that's always been is like covered head to toe with tattoos, like what? all over his face. Yeah, what? It's wild. Yeah. Ma- There's, that's an interesting band. There needs to be more information out about them. Like, it's not just stop the world and melt with you. Buddy. No, yeah, absolutely not. When this, yeah. when this, when this conversation ends, remind me that at the end, and I'll listen to that. Yeah. And dude, listen to the record they came out with in the last couple of years. It seems to be self-produced, but it's fucking weird. It's oh, like it shit. didn't sound so shitty. It's I, I, I've, I've gone on a deep rabbit hole with these guys. Obviously, yeah. Who like, knew you were so into modern English? Fucking dude, I love that shit. <laughs> Gary um, McDowell is tatted up. Oh, you're looking right now. Yeah. So is it wild? You, yeah. He's almost like freak show status. He he like he looks um, like he's part of Jim Rose. He's like Yes, exactly. He's gonna hammer Simon, his penis into a any, board in the middle of the set. Did you have <laughs> um that that uh the band I already forgot the name of the Simon remembered that was sewage adjacent. They were also like Dina Behavior. They were also like Jenna Tortures adjacent as well. Like they seemed yes. like that was like the route they were going. Yes. Do you have any of those Ian Glasper books, Simon? No, I do not. You should get those because they're just like there's there's th- at least three, but there's one that's eighty to eighty four, and then the next one's the next wave after that. That's like that's like all you ones like straight like UK eighty two. Then the next one's like more like crass record subhumans kind of shit, and then the next one's like the hardcore years, which is like not as as much as I love. It's just not what you want as much. I think if I think if you're sure. from England, it's probably great. But right. my do- my dog's just like actively digging a huge fucking hole in the yard. Hey, stop <laughs> that's that! That's what they do. Um, that's what they do. I just like look out the window as I'm looking at this book and be like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Um, <laughs> but uh, it, they're they're great and they're they're the like for a nerd they're too nerdy. But uh, that's where you can find out things like the first Blitz seven inch sold like the first press is like twenty five thousand. And you're like, oh, my my jerk water band doesn't matter because yeah. oh, yeah. these bands oh, I, were so fucking dude, popular. Dude, even even Osron, you look at the first press of the Osron thing, that thing sold like thirty five thousand copies. Yeah, but the first press isn't like feel like the seven inch or the LP. Seven I mean, inch. They were doing the seven inch was those were like three thousand, three thousand, three thousand, like like fuck. It you, got like, there though. Um, oh yeah, they got there. It's so interesting to see like if you pick up. In the days where NME, New Music Express, was still like relatively important if you were a band who was trying to make it in England, like you would get a copy of the NME and they have like the throwback charts, like the alternative charts from like, you know, 1982. And they'll have like Blondie or Adam and the Ants, and then they'll have, but like, then, you know, the Exploited's number two, like Chaos UK's number four. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all charting, yeah. like, all those oh, bands. Even, you know? like, and Pennywise, like, like, in the 90s, like, you look, they were always in the Billboard Hot 100 when they had a record come out. No effects, like, like yeah. you know, like, it, it's, you know. But I, they, were, they were so much more melodic. I always get, like, yeah. like, like this, just this kind of, like, Chaos UK, or, like, they're not melodic. And, like, you'll have, like, No Security is, like, number four. I mean, you know, it's their and, best song. And it is their best, yeah, for sure. That's yeah, that's the moment <laughs> UK DK where I'm like, what is this? Second, yeah. besides the Amazing part, but like, you know, um, yeah, I've, I've always been shocked on how like a, an entire country could like, you know, tolerate this sort of music enough for it to chart. You know, I think it's the type of the way those charts were set up. You know, and like the, 
just the the sheer number of kids that were kind of caught up in it at that time. Like, it's funny now. Like, you think about like you look at the streaming numbers for someone like Ghostmane, you know, and like you're like, wow, this is like, I guess the modern equivalent of that, you know, where you have an artist who's like very anti-commercial in right. in sound, but yet still is getting millions and millions of kids. Maybe not millions and millions of kids, but millions and millions of listens from hundreds of thousands of kids. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, this must be the modern kind of thing of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like people kind of, it's scary and it's aggressive and it's like, it, it just appeals. It's like there's yeah. a look for sure. Uh, and I think, you know, that's definitely part of it too. I think I just found um, your number one want, by the way, for modern English collectors out there. There's a modern English Chris DeBerg split LP from uh, live in when? May 1983. Uh, is it oh, is it another just like a pushhead situation where there's only test presses of it? Like, I think so. I think there's only it's an LP <laughs> transcription, but there is a copy for sale right now on the Cogs for the steal of I don't know what this is American, but forty pounds Canadian. That's cheap. forty pounds. That's cheap. Yeah. All right. Let me think about that. Send me the link. Okay, um, <laughs> pick it up. <laughs> That's funny. Well, but to shift gears here for one second, just okay, and talk about me. <laughs> I, was like, I, I like was thinking about when Dave's called the 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 hat Simon in the hat era. What'd you call it? I just said hat era Simon. Yeah, hat era Simon in Tulsa Dim. Yeah, I was thinking about that <laughs> and what that meant, and I think it was like. But I think uh, what I wanted to I wanted to defend myself by saying, though I was wearing a hat, mm. I still mm-hmm. was wearing, you know, the skeptic shirt that you sold me, probably. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I was wearing a hat, and I think it had a lot to do with me getting into graffiti at the time and wanting to not only identify as a punk, but as a graffiti kid, too. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, I mean similar sort of thing. Similar sort of, like, secret society that is, depends on like somebody kind of identifying you through a bunch of uh, like little visual markings you know so, so Damien as you were never like a, a, Mo- a Mohawk punk dude Not at all. Um, so if you're around that scene you can watch the telltale signs that someone's moving on yeah so <laughs> yeah when you when you see you know your, your your Mohican brother now just wearing a hat places you're like well the writing's on the wall for this guy he's mm-hmm. out I, mm-hmm. yep. No, I, I think there's definitely like, you know, you know, when your friends are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like this dude used to have like a Mohawk, you know, and like, you know, Johnny Lydon glasses. And now he's like got like a slightly crooked hat. You're like, all right. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the end of Simon. But that's it. I had patches on, but you know, I definitely yeah. was like, <laughs> but I, I always felt like I, 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 I wanted to remain identifiable as a, like, okay, I'll put it this way. Years later, when I started this band, Amazing Baby, that was kind of like a hard psych band, uh, mm-hmm. and um, Don DeVore, <clears throat> who we talked about earlier from Ink and Dagger, um, like, was uh, joined as our bassist. And, and like, at that time, like, I was just, like, super long hair, like... Uh, full-on cultural appropriation, uh, you know, Native American necklaces, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like wild acid hippie look. But like when Don met me, because Don came from the punk scene, he was just like, are you a crust punk? I was like, (laughs) 
yeah, how did you know? He's like, you just had the vibe, you know? Did you have like, no one had, did you have like lighter tops mixed in with the beads? I don't know, you know, lighter tops. Yeah, maybe there was some of that. There may have been like a lighter top on a sweatshirt. There may have just been like, oh, you know what I did have was a bullet belt. There <laughs> all, you right, go. all right, yeah, that's yeah, not bro- Native American at all. No, it's not. But um, no, but like it was definitely like I felt like that's interesting that he pinpointed it so specifically, and I always felt like there was a little bit of that going on. But I also like a lot of the kind of when I talk about not really like how I've never seen tear it up and like that sort of era of the punk scene. It's like, if I, since I like left and I went to a scene that was so unrelated, like the MGMT kind of like psych pop world and indie rock that like without social media, cause it was at that time when like, you know, the internet was, was happening. So, yeah. And, there was but media, there, but it wasn't all that social. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, OG, OG internet was like anti-social media because you were just like by your house, in your room by yourself. Or message right. boards. Yeah. yeah. Message board. But there was kind of like not, I didn't, it wasn't as easy for me to kind of like peer in and see what the, if their scene was still continuing or what the scene was like at that time. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like, yeah. I was so removed that like, you know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't like find out about a lot of the bands. Like, I mean, it's interesting, like, joining Spiral Heads with Jim and Q, like, who, Jim I knew when I was 15, when I went to, like, guitar camp in Boston, we became friends, because he was, like, the other punk hardcore kid there, mm-hmm. and then did not, hadn't seen him since, like, 1999, in, like, 2012, I'm just at a bar in Williamsburg, and he's like, All right, Simon? And I'm like, yeah, oh, Jim, like, whatever, and we, like, reconnected, <laughs> and, like, he's somebody who had stayed in the scene and played in all these different bands, and, like... Mm-hmm kind of made it work for and like it was and the, the bands were interesting the music was interesting the scene sounded fun it just kind of seemed like it was like it's it had i stuck it like i said had i stuck it out i think there was a place for me to kind of like that would satisfy me socially and musically had i remained in i just kind of wasn't aware of it because there wasn't a way for me to like casually check up on it in the same way you yeah. know but you know but it's also like when i but when i when we had like our first like you know spiral heads practice i'm playing like punk rock again though be it very different style it still has like the it's energy. like power pop punk it's like it's very yeah. identifi- identifiable that it's punk you know yeah it's and like, like the feeling i had is so fucking good i was like oh my god i mean like yeah we i do Thulsa doom shows but that's almost like playing these old songs but like writing new punk songs for the first time in years was like i was kind of like oh yeah this is like the best feeling but well, did it yeah. feel different for you to go from playing fast stuff to playing not fast stuff? Um, no, n- yes, in a good way. Like it felt refreshing. Like it felt like um, it felt like I was doing something that I felt like I was not allowed to do in the Thulsa Doom days because uh, the sti- like the stylistic. The trader was going to yell at you. Yeah, it was so rigid. <laughs> like I, we couldn't just go fucking like you know, Eddie and the Hot Rods all of a sudden, like, it just, yeah. like, that would take a long ass time. Like, who, you know, who are we, total chaos? Yeah, you got Baby, you know Sp- yeah. you got baby <laughs> Spike and Stuart Schrader like the old men in the Muppet Show yelling down <laughs> at you Spike. every time you try something new. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. so, yeah, no, it, it, it felt different. Like, it felt completely, it felt like I was, like, a, I was doing this because I wanted to, not because, like, these were the rules, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, you know? I, I, I from because I've only done one band that wasn't fast, 
And when I played live with it, I'm like, I don't know what to do with my, it's like that, like, I don't know what to do with my hands kind of feeling like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do up here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. It's a, uh, well, like it also, but indie rock as a whole genre exists because it was kids (laughs) that were in punk rock and hardcore that got sick of it and wanted to still play music that wasn't like mainstream shit that wanted to do something cool. And that's what, that's how indie rock was born. Right. Totally. You just you yeah. like you just were following the path that Thurston Moore and Jay Maskis and all these yeah. types had had walked to, right? But kind of unknowingly, like because mm. that that had happened sort of so so long before the time I was kind of compass mentis that like putting the punk indie rock connection, like realizing that like pavement have moments that sound like the heartbreakers is like you know what I mean? Like that didn't even. I couldn't figure that out for years because well, like, like yeah. the indie rock kids were just like moved from mainstream radio to indie rock, you well, know? And especially with pavement, right? Like there wouldn't be pavement without that band, the authorities, you know, in a very direct way. Like those were like, you know, like Malcolmus's mentors when he was a kid coming up. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, he comes out of punk going to shows at the Gilman, you know, like it's I, like, it's almost like, can you name a good indie band that doesn't have someone from hardcore punk in it well that's one of those a things lot. where with like with uh oh you mean like of, of that era like i mean of that era can you name like now yeah. you can't obviously but like i mean of that era like every single band of note had someone that came out of punk and hardcore maybe guided by voices not so much but even they put out a record on scat records so but i mean mm. that's one of those things like like people talk about like the grunge stuff how most of those dudes came from punk and then they're like but then like smashing pumpkins more like grunge, but they're not like not grunge. They're like in the same conversation. Mm-hmm. But those dudes, but like Billy Corgan didn't come from punk at all. Oh wait, yeah. someone has oh. not listened to all their Turn It Up Punk episodes, Simon, because Dave on an episode with Dan <laughs> Panic, uh, he talks about going to see this band, The Feds, as one of his first punk shows, which is the dude from Poster Children and James of the Smashing Pumpkins punk band. From back in the day, so no, but I, I I just updated to say Billy Corrigan. Billy, you Billy, Corrigan. Billy Corrigan. Yeah, I'm saying one he, member, okay. at least one member that comes from punk or hardcore. Well, yeah, well, it's funny because like I never loved. I think I talked about this like when Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, Smashing Pumpkins record came out. I was just like, what is this? Yeah. This is just like fucking bullshit. This is like you know the Aladdin soundtrack or something. Like it was just like it just made no sense to me. It was so smooth and saccharine and like almost like intentionally uh angsty, yeah. you know, like yeah. no, I mean I, rage. I'm still just a rat in a cage. I'm like, come on, bro. Would you no, like, I, I don't I don't fuck with them at all. Well who do you rate more? Smashing pumpkins, silver chair or bush X? Well, Bush X, I love that because you're Canadian, but here... Bush. Yeah. Bush. Yeah, Bush. What, yeah. Um, um, I can't name a Silverchair song. Like, th- that, like, I don't really rate any of those bands. I mean, I know that I, I can name a bunch of Smashing Pumpkin songs and know that I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Silverchair are, I believe, Australian, and there's a DS-13 song against them. So Shut I know up, that. for real? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, so, like, Silverchair are very Australian. <laughs> I was saying- I hate... Silver chair song, and either on like the six inch or on like the the second seven inch. One hundred percent. There's a DS thirteen song. I'll look it up. Well, oh, dude, we all we let's not let's not ignore the fucking Bush X partisans connection. You know, I mean, yeah, I might like Bush the most of those. Wait, 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 wait which, Bu- guitar player Bush X was in partisans. 
Yeah, I think so. Or the bass player of Bush. Whoa. There's, there, there is, there's definitely a Bush partisans connection. For yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, then Bush, Bush is still. But I'm still saying, like, out of the the second wave bands that kind of got lumped into grunge, uh, like who, which of those ones is your favorite? Because I was never. So in who's the, the third? Wave. So Silverchair, Bush, or who's the last one? Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins, because they were they were, uh, you know, legit. I mean, they were they were they were like, you know, I don't. I actually got more into them later when I got more into more psychedelic music, but like, and I got kind of more into the Gish, the first record, mm-hmm. but like, um, you know, cause they were just doing, they were more innovative. I mean, Silverchair and Bush were literally just kind of like, this is cool. Let's imitate it and put it out as quick as possible. Like I put Candlebox in there. Candlebox too, well. yeah, definitely. But Candlebox, you know. wasn't, isn't Candlebox from Seattle and weren't they part of it? No, they moved to oh, they Seattle moved. That's from right. fucking L.A. in like 1993. Yeah, they're the band that did that. <laughs> they are the band that did that, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, like, uh, yeah, but like still, like you know, I think the theory still holds, right? Especially now that you're telling me Bush X is a cl- connection to one of the best British punk bands ever. Like, it's a... Uh, it, it, it's like, you know, it was, it's indie rock and, and alternative music was like where everyone from kind of the first wave of hardcore wound up, you know, when they were just like, oh, geez, I, I don't know if this scene still reflects me. And it's also because, you know, it, as people keep coming on this podcast and talking about that we're around during that scene, like it got real violent. It got real hairy. The music wasn't as fun. Drug stuff got a little too crazy and they just need somewhere else to go. And which sounds very much like your experience. Yeah, it's true, but I, I do think the kind of like silver chair uh, uh, connection to punk is is almost like the way that like yeah, anarchists like from the you know late '80s and early '90s are are now voting for Trump. You know, Damn. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's almost like it's so convoluted and so far removed that it's just kind of like the original message has been just like. Uh, mutated in such a way that it's almost unrecognizable anymore. No, I, I, I wouldn't put Silverchair in that, but like, you know, I definitely put Smashing Pumpkins in that list um, with because of the James Eha connection yeah. to the feds. Dave, you have to check out that episode. And uh, well, which episode is it? Damn Panic. Okay. From Screeching Weasel. He, uh, it's a, no, because that blew my mind because I was also the same way. I was always like, oh, I don't think Smashing Pumpkins connect to this, you know? So, yeah, Allison but Chains I still, don't really. I still think, think I don't think they do because I still think that like Billy Corgan was the musical force behind the band, and he didn't really have that connection. And some of the play, like same way, like Bush don't because it's like, you know, Gavin Rossdale is the fucking dude who probably I don't know anything about him, but I imagine that he would have been fine with a fucking modeling contract or or some some sort of movie deal. And I even think that he was a footballer. Uh, before and like I think that, that like the partisans dude probably was just like yeah I'll t- I, I I'll play guitar for a living again I don't give a fuck I, yeah I believe yeah. he doesn't give a fuck I but I remember that they would wear they would all wear Sex Pistols shirts that was a thing they were definitely like made a big deal about punk roots. yeah I I remember Gavin Rossdale interviewing uh, Marky Smith from the Fall in Uncut Magazine one time. It was an awkward fucking interview, as you can imagine. Not as awkward wow. as it could have been, but it was it was definitely a weird interview. But yeah. but that was apparently Gavin Rossdale's pick, you know, and that was at a time when you know, and once again it's it's weird for us to look at England in the same way because in England these bands had legit chart hits. Um, oh yeah. You know, like especially mm-hmm. the fall. But still, like, you know, it's still like for him to big up the fall 
especially knowing that you'd have to interview Marky e. Smith. Like, you know, you got to be a fan to want to put yourself through that. I only met the guy for two minutes, and it was one of the most awkward conversations I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Marky e. Smith is in that crew who are so punk that they never considered, considered themselves punk. You know what I mean? But they're just like as punk as it gets. And I think that's the same way that you meet certain like old hardcore dudes and old punk dudes, I mean, everywhere, that are just like, this guy's fucking weird. And you're like, well, that's because it was like a place for the outcasts to go. So like these people weren't like, if they, they're not just like trying to like get a, a, a vibe or a look because it's like hip. Like obviously there's that going on in like every single scene. But you're going to meet people that are just like, this dude's fucking a dick. or This dude's weird. Because, like, that's who punk appealed to when they were a teenager. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, because you meet so many, like, weird older punk dudes. And you're like, well, God, this guy's creepy. Well, my mom, so my mom's British. Uh, She grew up in in London. And uh, her experience with punk and especially, like, skinhead stuff was that, like, they were terrifying and bad. And like when I and she had a particularly hard time with me when I started to dress punk because it kind of there were so many like skinhead punk overlays like the boots and then for a while oh, yeah. I had a shaved head and like she just associated it with just like people who kind of terrorized her and her friends when she was younger and you know so it's interesting to see like it meant something so different like I was like but it's it's music and for her it was just kind of like just thuggy kind of criminal behavior and, yeah. and, and, and danger and gen, gen, general badness, you know? Was she just like a Ted back then or what was she? <laughs> she? She said she was a mod. I'm like, that's, you were too young. I don't know. There's really. mod revival. There's mod revival. There's mod revival. She thinks she had, she had like one of those jackets. I think she had like a kind of a trench coat. A donkey think, jacket. Yeah. I think she was just like a lady, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think she's just like a young woman. <laughs> My dad got uh, attacked by skinheads when he was doing a show, and, and but this was like in the 60s. It was like, you know. Is it, your dad British? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that. Yeah, when he was in, uh, when he used to put on concerts in Leicester when he was going to school, they had like a big entertainment budget. So he'd bring in all these bands. And one night he told me he got attacked by a group of skinheads, and one of them chased him up a lighting rig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll believe it. Yeah, yeah, that right. famous picture of the guy on the on bank holiday with like a dart in his eye. That, yeah, it's Damien's dad. My dad's my dad <laughs> wrote the song by Last Roof's uh, cause, Violent Few. Ah, you know that song? Wait, 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 wait. wait. You said uh, you were cutting out a little bit. Did you wait? Say it again. Well, I, I just said uh, I made uh, my dad wrote that song uh, by the uh, Last Roof cause, Violent Few. Oh, I don't know that song. Do you know that song, I thought you Dave? said Last Resort because it cut out for a second. Yeah, <laughs> his, his Damien's dad is no mess, no fuss, just pure impact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad did play in the uh, pre-Gentle uh, Giant band on drums, so they kicked him out because he sucked at drums. Mm, so he was a musician? Yeah, I, well, in the broadest sense of the term, but I think, yeah, just compared to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. his his dad uh, has, has some... Because there's, a, there's a, a Damien's dad episode that you should uh, check out because he, he did some stuff. Turned out a dad. Turned out a dad. Turned out a dad. I want to do that podcast, too, eventually. You know, just talking to people about, like, you know. Um, Well, there's that movie, The Other F Word. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. My my wife made me watch it one night before tour and talk about ripping your fucking heart out. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? (laughs) Like, why would you do that to someone? Yeah, can't we yeah. can't we just watch Dear Zachary again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you one thing: it, make, it, make, it makes Fat Mike look like fucking Father of the Century. 
that movie. You know? Really? That I gotta might... go read back and rewatch it. He's just so, you know, this is also like before. Oh, yeah, before the time. Before yeah. everything. Yeah. Hey, dude, I love no effects. I will, I will say it loud and proud, but uh, yeah. Decline, <laughs> Decline is probably the greatest song that ever came out of that genre. Mm-hmm. Who's I fucking talking? People love that song who de- have never spent like a day listening to what they know of as punk. Like I, that song has come up a lot in my travels. You know, if you're gonna know like a handful of punk songs, why would you pick one that's so long? I guess you get your like bang for your buck of stands you know, out, five yeah. songs. Uh, have you mm-hmm. ever seen them play alive? I have not. I've seen them do it twice, not. and both times it was fucking awesome. Wow, I mean they're good, dude. They're good. I love the kind of uh, the long form melody. I love the chords under each fucking note. It's something that's like uniquely theirs. Like I, a lot of people hear, you know. I, I mean, obviously, I hear Bad Religion. I hear like a lot of influences, but like I do think that they have really created their own sort of style of songwriting that has yet to be. Well, they credit Arcade. They say they their sound, and when you when you like, you know, it makes perfect sense when you hear this. It's like RKL crossed with Bad Religion, and that's what they. Yes. That's what that Fat Mike sense. says, you know. And at least yeah. I believe RKL might be one of the most underrated bands in that world, and also one of the most fascinating fucking bands of yeah, all time. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Josh yeah, Williams yeah. in the band at one point. But, there's very Josh people that, that big up RKL. Yeah, Josh Brolin was in the pre-RKL lineup. I feel like RKL, as of recent, in the last 10 years or something, have become kind of, like, okay to like. I think that they were on Punkorama Volume 1, right? So, like, in my experience, like, Punkorama Volume 1 is your, you know, is your... Uh, it's, a, it's your first joint, right? But, like, afterwards, like, you can't... Like, it's like all the bands on that comp, you just can't really... I mean, Offspring are on that. Like, Rancid. Like, obviously, I like Rancid a lot. But, like, they definitely weren't... I wasn't kind of, like, openly admitting that I liked any band who was on that compilation, you know? And I do feel like RKL... Like, I've heard a lot more talk about them in the last couple of years than I did in my, like, deep kind of ABC No Rio days. I don't know. On the Fat Mike episode, he says it's the only band in history that has a pimp and a prostitute in the band. Wow. Um, RKL? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they were grimy. Yeah, like, apparently, like, while recording the record, one of them was, like, the the guy went out and was like, okay, I'm going to go turn some tricks now. And he went out and made some money and came back, and that's how they paid for the studio. Was the pimp his pimp? No, I think it was someone else's pimp to make it even yeah. grimier. Um, but then also, and, and, you know, Josh Brolin's in the band, people from yeah. Lagwagon are in the band. Like, it's really like a, a fascinating group that I, like a book that like, you know, when they write books about bands, you know, it's always about the people that you're like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, sure. I kind of know that story, but this is a band that I, this, sorry, this is a band I'd love to hear the whole story of. They're, they're not, a, a lot of them aren't around anymore, right? I think a, two, a few have passed away. Yeah. Um, two people I believe from the band have. Enough to like not be able to play shows anymore. As a singer, singer's gone, right? Yeah, but I I definitely one time played a all reunion LA punk band type show, except for us and a couple of bands on the undercard type thing. And one of the bands reunited. I believe it was Circle One had one original member. Oh, and so did uh, Battalion of Saints at that point too. Right. 
New York, I mean, uh, California is so weird that it does that kind of stuff. And it's like so common that it like, isn't even like no one even cares. But when we, we flew out to California to, to go to that black flag, like benefit for cats show. Yeah. And, and there was some like, Oh yeah, tonight it's like Los Olvidados and RKL and something else. Like, Oh, should we do that? And the, we were staying with Westbrook. He's like, no, I mean, that shows like every week, like, you don't want to do that. Let's just like go right. out to eat. It's yeah. true. It's we, the flyers you see are are like insane. Like they're like they're like I'm like is this happening now or is this like 1983? But like it's not the same. I mean, we there's also I mean, there's, there's Reagan Youth are touring, you know, constantly. Yeah. That's also, so weird. Just play with, yeah, it's very bizarre. Very Italian bizarre. Saints were uh, legitimately one of the best bands I've ever seen live at that show. It was incredible. I think it was a lot of people <clears throat> from sort of that heroin. Uh, like Gravity record scene playing in the band. Mario might have even been playing drums right now for, at that point. Well they, well, they had Bones from Discharge was in it for a long time. Yeah, I don't know if he's. I don't think yeah. so. I, it, by the time I saw it, it was all I think generally people from like kind of like that era of San Diego backing them up. Yeah, it was incredible. Like what a what an awesome show. But yeah, so when I, was that? When was that? Two thousand and six, seven. Someone posted a flyer for it the other day, and uh, the other thing that was amazing is I met the guy from GTA Records that that night, Brian from Grand Theft Auto. Mm. Oh wow! Who who get? Who I don't know. Traded me some CDs for, without cases. I, <laughs> but anyway, I'm trying to think if I if I saw if I ever saw them uh, saw the Titan Saints because I definitely saw. Bones from Discharge play in something that he was just like a scab in, but I don't remember what he was in a lot of bands though. I even think he like played with Conflict. Was he he might have been in like US Chaos or or, uh, not US Chaos, uh, US US Bombs? Bombs. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what I saw him in. Um, Conflict, as I said recently, uh, that was the worst show. That's like one of the worst bands I ever saw. Was that Conflict at CBGB show? I remember the show in Toronto not being great around that era too. That was like I, one, of, I one, of la- during- one of the last CBGB shows. You mean like during the kind of like save CBGB's festival that was a joke because it was not going to be saved and they all they wanted to do was just like gouge people for a lot of money and then leave and close it? Are you about I that? I mean, I think it was earlier than that because I, I think I didn't go to the conflict show because I'd seen them prior. I think it was in like 2001 or some shit. They were, they well, were very bad. It's a lot of words. Uh, it's like definitely from what I can tell a lot of cocaine, um, mm-hmm. to say all those words. Um, and it's just like definitely like conflict are an interesting band. Like they were definitely like one of my favorites cause they were so weird, mm-hmm. you know, but like a lot of their kind of like, they haven't, they're a band that I have trouble listening to now, not everything, but like. I can't just like throw conflict on like I can with some other bands and just kind of enjoy it as much. Like there's just, it's not, it's definitely seems like a lot of stuff that was written in the studio. This is just to me, you know, mm-hmm. that was like written in the studio. That was kind of like an amalgamation of like lots of different song ideas that they had, like lyrics that didn't really fit that song that he's kind of has to like, it's just not as like, yeah, there's I'm definitely say, some of those songs that are, that seem layered together. That, like that yeah. they were definitely like, Everyone brings their thing to practice, and they did. They like didn't meet prior. Right, right. I mean, like I'm gonna say it. It's not as groovy as some of the other bands, like. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we all looking for with peace punk. You know what I mean? But like, 
Yeah, it's just, it just I mean, it's no, a little... it's not Zounds, for, that's for sure. Oh, Zounds. Though I saw, did you see Zounds? You, know, you were probably in Austin already when Zounds. No, I never saw him. I, Zounds played ABC No Rio. Um, this is, I don't remember when. Like this, I'm just going to throw this out there 2012, 2013, uh-huh. something like that. Um, and I went with my friend Matt, and it was awesome. Like, it was really interesting to see, like, it was all fucking crust punks and like, you know, but there was like dreads and mohawks. It was just kind of like a distraught show audience. Right. Mm-hmm. But here's Zounds, you know, who kind of sound like the DBs or like the, you know, or not, I mean, a little darker, but like for the most part, it's like a power pop kind of proto new wave style, you know, band. And like the singer Zounds was saying like, oh, it's so great to be in New York. Like such great bands have come from here. Then he starts to go and talking about like the Velvet Underground and like uh, like kind of like folk music and sort of. Uh, what were uh, you expecting him to say? Like distraught. Yeah. Let's hear Vertista well, and everybody. Like, but it was so interesting to see this audience just being like, "What?" Yeah, yeah he's like, you "I'm so I mean? yeah." Then yeah, that, I was that. stoked because I'm like, "Yeah, fuck yeah!" Like that's who you sound like. You're like just because you're on Crass Records and like you somehow. You and you have you have po- like the politics match, but like overall, the sound of your band doesn't match any of the of the other bands yeah. on this said person's jacket. You know, yeah. If you told me this was just like early EMF, I'd be like, yeah, totally, <laughs> dude. Um, early EMF is unbelievable. But I mean, like that's Ooh. the thing with like like they must have been so bummed when Chubba Wumba blew up because they're like, oh, we were doing this better, right? And a way and better. Dude. I, I actually really love those Chubba Wumba records, like the one, the split with Noam Chomsky live record where they do uh, Safety Pin Stuck in My Heart and stuff like that. I like that stuff too. I like Z- yeah. Zounds yep. as well, but like you know, Chubba Wumba had paid their dues. It wasn't like they, you know, they like no, no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not slagging them, but I'm just saying like. Zounds like their first seven inch sounds like it could you could play it on the radio right now if guitar yeah. music was popular. Right. Well, I think you yeah. What you're saying is that that, that and I agree is that Zounds wrote really cohesive, very well crafted pop songs. You know. Oh yeah. A- and uh, and they just didn't get the exposure at the time. Um, like, I, I don't know who the second most commercially viable band on Crass Records is. Honeybane. I was gonna say you gonna go girl on the run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Honeybane, yeah. honey seven inch. I mean, porno I love gross. the honeybone seven inch, but like porno grows per se is not necessarily like you know, not charting. It's a it's a close like I do like I used to DJ uh, a fair amount for like you know fancy fancy people clubs, and that's uh-huh. actually where I um, and I would definitely like throw on can't keep uh, can't cheat karma, karma all the time, and yeah. people would just be fucking grooving. Yeah, that's where yeah. I. Uh, that's where I met Mike Fellows I brought up earlier from Rights of Spring. Like, that's what he was doing. He was, like, DJing for rich people, and he was kind of my, like, DJing for rich people mentor. Um, and that sounds like, like an incredible uh, job. Yeah. yeah that, he, that sounds fun. It was fun, but then, he get, you know, it gets old. You also have to stay out until, like, five in the morning, a couple nights a week, and that just destroys your life. But um, it was fun. I remember one time he was like, you want... Watch me get all the nerds uh, uh, onto the dance floor, and he puts on "Obla Dio Blada" by the Beatles, and it worked. Just nerds were coming out of the woodwork, getting yeah. on that dance floor. Oh, but yeah, were... like he, oh, sorry, go he on. would know. He would throw. On, sorry, he would. He would definitely like sneak the odd punk song uh, into the kind of like DJ set of, of a very like recognizable hits. You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. it was like Toto into kind of '80s by Killing Joke or something like that, and it would work. And like that's and I would kind of find these songs like even Big A Little A, like obviously you don't play the whole thing, but like <laughs> you can kind of like 
you can sneak that in like you new age by blitz you can sneak in like there's a lot of like it's interesting like mining that scene for like songs that go that, will, that can be played for a very kind of basic audience and go unnoticed i fucked up every dj ever, gig i've ever had by like trying to keep it real and just playing what i wanted to play and it's uh, hard i should have done that yeah i i the same way that you're disappointed that like when you left punk that you missed out on some things that were just like around the corner like i sold my records right before the next renaissance of like older punk guy dj night yeah. And oh, I, no. was re- I was really bummed that like that I missed like that these fucking heavy ass boxes that it was like moving across the damn country, and then I finally was like, all right, I'm I'm I I'm selling these, and then like that, then I w- missed out on just being able to like nerd out and ma- make live mixtapes essentially for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never too late. You got a new collection, you know? Uh, it would be it would I could do a DJ night, but it would be. Uh, you play Gut Instinct, you know? I could. I mean, I, I just play songs off 40 Ounce Casualty six times <laughs> off different copies. But uh, <laughs> you, would, hey, you should team up with uh, Judd from Sex yeah. and Judd. Um, mm-hmm. And because he also has par- pared down his record collection to just his favorites and his hitters and just mm-hmm. do like a night of just your favorite records. It would be sick. Let's, yeah. If we're ever in the same place at the same time, we should all do a DJ night. How about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. we all have Spotify. We can all just DJ now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't even have to be in the same place. <laughs> no, we can all just yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> you do it right now. We just stick our phones in the thing. Like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, those uh, th- those weird, boring era, uh, skeptic songs are on Spotify, so you can. Are they? Uh, at least well, one of them is. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, I'm. Uh, I know what I'm about to do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I know what I'm about to do. Well, this um, has been awesome, and I want to do this again with you guys if you guys are down to do another one down the road. Oh, I, I, I we could just do this every Thursday. I don't. We should do that. Yeah. A spinoff <laughs> podcast. We want to just do it. We yeah. try to do it every Thursday. Okay, this is yeah. now. We'll see how this works. But this might be a semi-regular <laughs> podcast now. Yeah, if this goes well, then we'll just deliver it every week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. just get together. I'm I'm good most days on Thursdays at this time, so we can uh, get together and and just bullshit and and eventually flesh out the complete history of the '90s crust and scum rock. Yeah, early yeah. It'll, be, it'll be called One Skype Crew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, well, thank you both so much for coming back on the shows for your respective part twos. Oh, well, thank you, time. man. Yeah. Seriously. Thank you, Simon, and thank you, Dave. And they will be back for multiple parts in the future. And if you have not listened to Simon's part one, go back and check it out. Simon Doom was on the show I guess a year and a bit ago, and David Up's on all the time. Check out some of David Up's episodes. Check out David Up Part 1 as well. But, oh, I hope you laughed as much as I did, because I really, they got to make a movie of those guys, like, you know, mainly on the Simon stories, but David Up is like this sort of big brother character. I, you know, they'll figure it out. They're Hollywood. They can they can make this thing happen. Um, but that is it. On to later on this week on the show. Later on this week on the show, we have the king of the punk wrestling connection, the juggalo punk connection, and striving for togetherness records. We have Kevin Gill on the show, Mr. PMA himself. You may have heard him on Game Changer Wrestling. He does a lot of commentary for them. Uh, He does a lot of podcasts. I've been on his podcast. This thing was supposed to come out forever ago and it's taken a long time but trust me 
It is awesome. And the way they all kind of like weirdly fit together, you'll see in the end how they all kind of fit together. It, it, it works out pretty cool. But that is later on this week on the show. So check it out. Um, and then that, and then oh, at the end of the week, Omar Doom. Omar Doom is going to be on the show. What a week. A lot of work for me. A lot of editing I'm going to get to. So I'm going to let you go. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. Go out and get involved. Go to get informed. A lot of scary stuff's happening right now all over the place. So uh, read up on it. Uh, fuck fascism. And and we'll get through this. We will definitely get through this. Also, sign your organ donor's card. Go out there and do that because you don't need your organs. By the time they're looking at that card, believe me, they're not they're not of use to you. So sign it and you know give someone else something uh, in the end. Well, really morbid way to talk about that, but I, I you know got a matter of fact. Uh, also, go there and make your own culture because it helps keep you uh, together. You know, put yourself out there in the world. You know, start a band, start a fanzine. Starting a band right now might be hard. Start a fanzine, you know, start a web page. Learn uh learn learn desktop publishing. That's nah, no one should learn that now. That's kind of a outmoded skill. But anyway, do something. Get yourself out there, be creative, and that's it. Uh stay safe, and I will see you later on this week on the show. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>